48 stops for Marc-Andre Fleury, his 90th career Stanley Cup playoff win. Breaking ball hit high and deep to left field. Tie game! The best hitter on the planet right now has done it again, and it's a brand new ball game at Fenway. Pitch on the way, fastball, sent to center field, well hit, off the wall. Rounding third, heading home, Verdugo, and the Red Sox will win it. Leonard, seven to shoot, Kawhi makes his move, oh, wow, a major Kawhi light! <laughs> oh my goodness. Did you wake up the neighbors when Vladdy hit the bomb? Two outs, <laughs> ninth inning. The offense hasn't done anything all night. Losing Man. one nothing, and Matt Barnes hangs a cookie, and Vladdy. He's been hot. It. Yeah, that was an absolute bomb out there. I yeah, I, he's come through in clutch. He's not just. He's not having just. He's not the MVP. He's coming up in big moments. You can put up numbers in whatever sport you want. But when are you doing it, right? We talk about guys scoring late in games, scoring the fifth and sixth goal. I think Matt Barzell was asked about in the playoffs, why have you just started to get hot now and not before? And he's like, listen, I, I, what's the point of me scoring the fifth and sixth you know, goals in a game? It doesn't really matter. I mean, for Vladdy, he's come up in big moments as well. It's not just the numbers for him. He's done it in big moments. And that's what you want, right? Numbers are numbers, but it depends on when you put them up. I, from a player standpoint, that's what it means to me. The guys in the clubhouse know how important Vladdy is on the team right now. We talked about it yesterday and him carrying this team into the playoffs. I think he can, um, big moment last night for him in the Jays tight game. And, and he finds a way to get it done. Except it would have been easier to just lose one to nothing given how they ended up. Having well, that now you would rather. Well, no, I mean, no, no. I, you know, I'm kidding. Well, you know, no, I'm well, kidding. I, I know we're going to talk about this, and I, you can start it off. But there's two ways to look at this, and you know, I hate going to the Twitter machine after the game and like reading the comments. Why are you doing this? And then we come on in the morning and we discuss it. It's like, what happens if Romana goes in and? They don't score. Then all of a sudden, Delise comes in, and then you are they get a run, and then they blow it with Delise coming in the tenth or the eleventh. I just, it's so easy after the game to say Delise shouldn't have been in. Well, okay, so it's all about the order. Now, few things to lay out. I was not mad when Delise came in to start the bottom of the ninth, and let me explain why. And I feel like, by the way, you, your point about Twitter is very good. It's almost like if we don't tweet our feelings in the moment, everybody thinks that whatever you say after that is hindsight because there's no record of what you could have possibly have thought if you didn't tweet it, which uh, isn't yeah. true. But I'm going to acknowledge this. I was not upset, and here's why. It, it could be psychological scarring. It could be a variety of other things. I just assume that if they're not going with their best alternative, it's because their best alternative isn't available in the moment. Jordan Romano couldn't pitch on Friday night when they had a nuclear meltdown and 
apparently he had forearm tightness, and then the very next day he's out there throwing 99. So I'm all confused. Doesn't pitch Sunday. Well, what about last night? I don't know. Maybe he needs two consecutive days off having pitched Sunday before he can appear again, given how his arm feels. So I'm not deep into the questioning in the moment. And then we start seeing Jordan Romano warm up in the bullpen, and I'm thinking to myself, this is a little strange. You cannot, A, make fun of Buck Showalter for leaving Zach Britton in the bullpen in the 2016 wildcard game in extra innings when Edwin Encarnacion hit a ball off Ubaldo Jimenez, of all people, a ball that still hasn't landed. You can't make fun of Buck Showalter for leaving his, quote, best down in the bullpen. Far more consequential game, I get it. AL wildcard game. Not a June night in Boston. But you cannot make fun of Buck Showalter for that and be okay with what happened last night. You go to Jordan Romano, not just because you want your best out there to try to extend the game to the 10th inning. Where were the Red Sox in their lineup? Two, three, four, five. Their best hitters, Verdugo, Martinez, a guy I'm so upset I'm forgetting his name right now, and then Devers. Let me look at their lineup. I actually pulled it up here. Bogarts? No. Yes. Thank you very yeah. Thank you very much. <laughs> thank you very much. I should not be forgetting Xander Bogart's name. When you have two, three, four, and maybe five coming up in the Boston Red Sox lineup, bottom of the ninth inning tie game at Fenway Park, it is a save situation. And by that I mean it is a save situation and that you need to save the ninth inning to get it to the tenth. And if you score a run in the top of the 10th and you're up two to one and Rafael Dolis comes in in the bottom of the 10th and gives up two runs and you lose, to quote it in French, c'est la vie. But don't lie down and let them you know what on you with their best hitters and you could have gone to your best reliever and didn't. I understand what Charlie's doing and I get it, but it's one way or the other. Like I... I feel like he's flip-flop back and forth where he's he's used the best reliever uh in the game, right? To try to extend games. I I just I don't like coming on after and talking about all it's it's like I th- I think I think critiquing a manager after at the end of a baseball game is the easiest th- thing to okay, do. Okay, but when are you supposed for us to do and it? fans? You do it when he makes the move. Let me see your Twitter stamp. I want to see the time when he puts the lease in and you say, I just acknowledged, I just acknowledged not knowing the Romano situation. I wasn't, he was fine, but he was, so he should have gone to him. him. I'm okay. Last night, not going to Romano though. Cause who's coming up in the 10th inning? Grichik, Telez. Guriel. I don't know if that matters. That's who you have coming up to hit. You're also starting with a runner on second base. Okay, but they're 0 for 9 with two strikeouts. Those three guys. Like, do you have confidence in one of them putting a bat to a ball well, in the 10th? I have confidence. I know my boy. I have my boy. Like <laughs> My boy Randall. I know, but hey, when Randall's not good. Dude, I the, see, jersey, I, the jersey I, hasn't I, even <laughs> arrived, and you're giving up on him. 
The jersey hasn't <laughs> even arrived at the front door. I'm You're not giving, giving up. up on him. I'm just saying I got to call it as it is. And he wasn't looking good. I wasn't feeling Randall yesterday. Well, but there, save that one. No, I wasn't feeling Randall. Ran, all Randall has to all Randall has to do. All Randall has to do is get a base hit to the outfield, and By, you might score the go-ahead run with the runner starting the inning on second base. Barnes had cleared for the Red Sox. He wasn't coming back out for a second inning of work. Telez is, I mean, that's a whole other conversation that involves, uh, uh, I would imagine, a demotion to the minor leagues when George Springer gets back, or at least even more reduced playing time, potentially well, a trade at some point. But my point is, my point is you got to get the game to the 10th inning and take your chances, Ziggy. Right, yeah. And then if you go to Dolis in the bottom of the 10th inning, whether you've taken the lead or not, if, if Romano goes three up, three down, bottom of the ninth, yes, Devers is leading off. If Romano strands a base runner, so he faces two, three, four, five, then, and the Red Sox have a great lineup, but it is all relative, then you're facing six, seven, eight. Like that, that is a better part of the lineup for Rafael Dolis to face. Mm -hmm. Then the gauntlet, and it's literally a gauntlet, and it's left-handed with Verdugo hitting two, Endeavors hitting five, and right-handed with Martinez and Bogarts back-to-back three-four. That's a gauntlet. You want to go with your best on their best in that situation, especially with the boost that Vladdy's given you, hitting a game-tying home run with two outs and nobody on in the ninth inning when you haven't done a damn thing offensively all night. Like, I, I don't know how about you. Silent Vic and I were talking about this. Diggy. I Like, when he hit that ball, I, I was, oh, my, like, I'm talking to myself. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Silent Vic says he's lying in bed. He jumps up. I mean, he almost crashed through the, the upstairs floor to the basement. I mean, that moment, that was a moment for Vladdy. And Vladdy's had a bunch of moments, but that was a clutch. That was a huge Huge moment. And could you imagine winning that game last night off of that home run and whatever else may have come? Yeah. You've got it's to put yourself in the position to do it. It's frustrating. So there's a couple different ways then. So it's a game it's a game situation. Where are you? Are you at like are you at home? I don't know if that matters at all. Um what relief pitcher to go to? Are you up? Are you down? Are you trying to extend a game? how much confidence do you have in the guy coming in? And then there's an also another way to look at the, you do like who's, who's coming to the plate and what matters more. Do you are, do both of them come into consideration? I think both of those factors do. And for whatever reason, Charlie at this point, just he wants to save his guy for, he wants Romano to come in when he has the lead. And if that's a situation, fine. Now we go forward. We know what we know what to expect. Can't you put Castro in in that situation? That's another, that's another one for me. Why can't he? Why can't he come in in the ninth? Isn't he ahead of Dolis on the chart? For is like in general, well, he, like he might be now. He honestly, he might yeah. be now. I, I Dolis. I mean, Friday night, last night, Dolis blew a game in the ninth inning in Dunedin against the Red Sox about a month ago. Remember, JD Martinez hit a two-run. Well, there's a two-out home run. Can't remember if it was a two-run home run, but whatever it was, the Red Sox were trailing. The Jays were an out away from winning, and then they took the lead on the Martinez home run. Went from like two to one to three to two or something yeah. like that. Anyway, that's I'm doing too too deep a dive into it. But Dolis, the Red Sox have been a bad matchup for him. And like I say all the time, he's a trip to Adventureland. He works slow. There's so much run on his fastball that 
that's a good thing sometimes. Other times, he really has no idea where it's going. He falls behind in counts. Like Rafael Devers is a guy that the league has figured out. You throw hard to, and yet he didn't hit his spot, and, and Devers didn't miss and, and knocked it off the monster out towards center field for the game-winning double. Like it, it's, it's just tough because if you're Vladimir Guerrero Jr., you're one of these young kids you're looking at this and going, man, not again. And this season is not at all getting away from the Blue Jays, Ziggy. Like Tampa Bay, you can't control, except when you play the Rays, you can't control what the Rays are doing. The Rays are starting to annoy me again. And by starting, I mean they've never really stopped, but they're ramping it up. They're they're on another run here of four wins in a row, eight of ten. I'd have to go back and see their record since the start of May. It, it's been unbelievable. Like they very rarely lose baseball games. So you look at it now, and you're eight and a half out of the division lead. Now, the Yankees are nine back. They've been scuffling too, but you're within the wild card chase here. You're three games back of a wild card spot. So many games you've left on the table. This team is good. I'm telling you. And look at their run differential of plus 49. And it doesn't, it, this doesn't mean that it's always 100% true, but when I see a team that is extremely close to the 500 mark, which of course is to say almost the same number of wins and losses, but has a run differential of plus 49, that tells me they're winning a lot of games by big scores and they're losing a bunch of close ones. That's how you end up with a run differential like that and a record of about 500. And what is typically happening in Major League Baseball if you're losing a bunch of games really close? You're coughing them up late. Mm -hmm. And that's been happening for a month now, month and a half. What we should have been talking about this morning is Alec Manoa and how good he was pitching yes. yesterday, right? Like that's yes. that should have been the like the lead part of today's talk. I that and, you know, obviously we don't know if Vladdy comes in and ties it up in the ninth, but maybe he hits the solo home run to win the game in the ninth and then Romano comes in and then it's wow Romano's really taken off leading the league and then you have Vladdy yeah he's the best in the league but now he's clutch with these home runs Alec Manoa I mean Alec Manoa should have pitched a he a, a run shouldn't even scored I, That's right. I don't know what you well, thought about Goriel like well before that it was Kevin Biggio not mistake executing yes. Biggio did not have a good night last night and three plays yeah two two missed double play turns they got the the lead runner both times first and second innings but two double play turns and then a very makeable play on the he was playing in the shift pulled around to the right side of the diamond but on the lead off single uh, by Verdugo in the bottom of the ninth well Martinez doesn't when Martinez doesn't score from first if Goriel comes up with the play though like that's that's what I was trying to say yes. about the fly. Right. Like I I don't know. I, is that a 50-50 play for you? Like okay, it's a spectacular cat. Like I don't think that's a spectacular play in left field if Goriel comes up with he it. He got his glove on it. He got his glove on it and it wasn't like he was going back at a high rate of speed, which is something you can't really do play in the monster anyway cuz that scoreboard has things that jut out. I mean, you'd hurt yourself, <laughs> injure yourself if you bumped into it. But like, it wasn't like he was going back at a high rate of speed and a collision with the wall cost him. He got his glove on it. Has you know, to come up with it though. Got to come I'm up sorry, with it. You have to come up with it. Well, or you got to turn the double play right before that. Like the, these are the little things Ben Wagner coined it. Uh, 
he and I were talking last week, and Ben Wagner coined it. He said, you know, we were, I was talking to a coach in spring training, and, and that coach said, one of the things that is going to help to set us apart when we get there, we're going to have to play in sync. And I thought, you know, that is a perfect way to describe the way that the Tampa Bay Rays play baseball. They are always in sync. They don't play perfectly every single night. They don't go air-free all season long. That's not what I'm saying. But they don't load a rifle and walk around with it pointed at their own feet. And you saw examples of it. Dan Schulman, Buck Martinez, Joe Siddle talks about it as well. These are not things that show up as errors on the score sheet. So they don't end up as unearned runs on the pitcher's line. But they're little things that you can't notice in the box score so that if you missed the game last night and you looked at the box score, you wouldn't be any the wiser. But when you watch this team play, you go, that double play non-turn in the first, that double play non-turn in the second that leads to the fly ball that mm, should have been caught by Gurriel, the Biggio play to start the bottom of the ninth on the Verdugo ground ball. These little things, they're just not in sync. And that's the, that's one of the next steps this franchise has to take. Yeah, I just it's it, it's a it's a winnable game again. This it should have been a sweep. Like uh, I just, it's yes. frustrating. I, I it should have been a sweep. The the Bishio thing is interesting now, and I know we kind of joked yesterday. And who do you move, and who could you get the most for? Who, who has the best value? I just you have a guy like Panic yesterday not playing. I just uh, how like he's been hot lately. That's the thing. How do you not keep a guy like Panic in at third yesterday? Why not have him in there? Yeah, he's nine for twenty-one his last eight games. It's a Gold Glove winner. I just you keep him in at third. I'm sorry, but at this point, I don't think Biggio's an everyday third baseman. Yeah, and and the guy you'd probably want in defending late in a tie game like that, Espinal got optioned out when Biggio got mm-hmm. activated from the injured list the other day. Um, and and Espinal's got his own warts, uh, not the least of which is the fact that he can't hit the heavy-handedness. Right, he. He's a right-handed hitter who doesn't hit right-handed pitching. The dominant hand that most pitchers throw with their right hand, he doesn't hit righties very well. And and so that's going to limit him until he figures that out if he ever does. Yeah, it's just, I, you know, you can, see wh- you can see where this is going. And we've talked about it, Ziggy, with Dan Schulman, loose comparisons to the 1983 Blue Jays before they really took the step and made the playoffs in 85, there was the meltdown in 87. They were a playoff team in 89, again in 91, before finally doing it in 92. There's a build here, and you can see it's like a it's like a piece of clay that's in the process of being formed, but it's not anywhere near a finished product. And when it gets to be a finished product, there will be greater pitching depth, both developed within and likely acquired from without, they will have to address the third base position. And George Springer is going to go a long way toward contributing to this when he gets back. And by the way, George Springer is going out on a rehab assignment. Going to play five innings tonight. (laughs) Cake and balloons, baby. Cake and balloons. George Springer's playing a little baseball. Let's have a party. But when George Springer gets back, that is going to help with the outfield defense because they've had issues at the corners Occasionally this season, particularly with Gurriel, not so much his arm. His arm's been brilliant, but with his routes to baseballs, etc., they've had some issues with Gurriel and a little bit with Teoscar. And right, you expect some of that. 
but and I didn't even get to the back end of the bullpen. So there's a lot here to like, but there is a lot of unfinished product. And they've got to address either in season, certainly in into the off season, those issues. And if they do that, not only will they exist on the fringes or or right in the wild card chase, like I think they're going to this year, they will be a contender to win the division, and they will be an absolute problem for whoever they face in the playoffs. This team is very close to being very good. And last night is annoying as hell. And Friday night was annoying as hell. And what game was it? Uh, they, 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 they run together for me now. Which game was it in Chicago? I think it was the opener Tuesday night last week where Robbie Ray struck out 13 and then they yacked. Like, this team is very close. But you can see what it's missing. Well, how many good teams in the league right now are guessing at the end of a game? That's, I mean, that's pretty much what it comes down to. How many good teams in the major leagues are guessing who to put in eight, nine, or if it goes to extras? Is Tampa Bay guessing? No. White Sox? Are they guessing? No, Liam Hendricks is a lockdown are the Met, guy. Are the, are, the, are the Mets guessing? Like, are the Cubs guessing? Like, uh, how, how many That's teams right. are guessing? The St. Louis, Louis Cardinals right now absolutely are guessing, and you're seeing what it's doing to them in yeah. the NL Central standings. They've got a walk rate out of their bullpen that's almost historically bad. The and, Giant, like, are the Dodgers guessing? Like, right. none of the t- best teams in the league guess 8-9 and going into extras if a game goes they know exactly what the plan is. They know who they know who they're rolling out, and it just it they don't hurt themselves. Um, and that's it's unfortunate because this Jays team is a playoff team. Um, a couple tweaks here and there, and I I, I honestly I, I I they're they're right there for me. Um, I don't think the Red so- you think the Red Sox are that much better than than the Jays? No, no, I don't. Yeah, so. And they're starting I'm, pitching. They're starting pitching is starting to crater. Although Evaldi was excellent last night. Oh yeah, unreal. Evaldi was excellent. I like. I like what he had a little exchange with Vladdy there. <laughs> yeah. What he hit. Well, he should have had a double down yeah. to the third baseline. But you know, like I, I'm watching. I'm watching Vladdy last night. Matt Barnes paints 97 outside corner, first pitch in that ninth inning at bat, and Vladdy just looks and nods. Okay. All right, 97, you painted it on the black. Good pitch. Like it. And Umpy, Umpy had just struck out Bo Bichette. Now, Bo Bichette sometimes can do a good enough job striking himself out. But but Umpy struck out Bo Bichette. And so I'm sitting there going, because I've been in that ballpark. I mean, just... I didn't like some of those calls, though. I didn't like some of those strikes on the outside. Simeon had one, I think. And it's talked about, Ziggy. Like, you know this. You you went into different rinks as a visitor, and I'm sure you thought sometimes something was up or people got influenced by the rowdiness of the crowd or whatever. There is a late-game, close-game Fenway strike zone, and the visiting team is keenly aware of it. And so I'm sitting there watching Barnes, and he paints 97 first pitch to to Vladdy, and I'm I'm thinking the as great as Vladdy is, I'm crossing my fingers, going Barnes just has to make a mistake, he has to make a mistake. That's what's gonna that's what's gonna turn the tide here. And sure enough, he hung an absolute cookie of a breaking pitch right in the middle of the plate, and Vladdy, 
I think he hit it over the DraftKings sign on top of the green monster. He hit it so far and so hard. And if I'm Matt Barnes and Umpy wants to give me four inches off either side of the plate so we can all get home, what are you doing with your second best pitch hanging it in the middle of the plate? I just thought it was ridiculous. Yeah. I'd keep pushing that fastball out, out, out just a little bit more. See how far you can get Umpy to call it for you. But anyway, what a moment. It it It's lost a little bit in the eventual defeat. But man, Vladdy is something. It's incredible. I know, you know, between Austin Matthews, uh, Kawhi here for a year, a couple of years ago, and watching Vladdy doing what they do, like this is a pretty heady time to be a Toronto sports fan in terms of top end athlete. Are you smirking because you're thinking well, who's that? Big, who's, bringing, who's are, you, who's, are you smirking because bringing up Austin Matthews' name right now might be a little toxic? Listen, uh, Austin like, Matthews okay. didn't just start sucking, he's still a great hockey player. Have uh, series yeah. notwithstanding. I was gonna. But, say, I was just gonna say, who's bigger in Toronto right now, Matthews or Vladdy? Well, that's, that's today it. it's Vladdy because we're <laughs> baseball's in season, and he's yeah. playing at an MVP level. Austin pretty close to it in the regular season. But I'm, I'm just saying it, it's it's a pretty heady time to be a a local Toronto sports fan of the uh, big three teams that we've got, uh, just with some of the talent. Uh, that is on the or has been on the rosters of those groups. Uh, Kevin Barker for the full half hour at 7.30. You want to bark at Barker, text us to 59590. We'll open up the phone lines as well. So be listening for your cue to call on Charlie's decision to go with Dolis over Romano. Ziggy doesn't want me questioning that because I didn't tweet it right at the start of the bottom of the ninth inning. And if you don't tweet something in that moment, it means you are using hindsight to judge everything. If it's not on Twitter, it's not on the f- the official record. <laughs> Please tweet at me during the trip. What if I'm games? off somewhere charging my phone? Like I don't, I don't know. Like I, I need, to I want to see your, I want to see your take once Charlie rolls in with his guy, whoever he replaces his guy with. I want to see you tweet it, tweet at us okay. during the game. All right, Kevin Biggio, we'll talk about that. Uh, Jays and Yankees three game series in Buffalo starting tonight. Ryu tonight for the Jays. Cole tomorrow for the Yankees, so the aces for both teams will pitch in the series. Bruce Boudreau, Arash Madani, the CFL's coming back, baby. John Molinaro, huge night for the Canadian men's soccer team. They've got Haiti as they look to move to the next round in World Cup qualifying. And up next, what did we talk about with the Vegas Golden Knights and the Montreal Canadiens? How would the Habs respond if they fell behind early? Gord Stellick! Well, help us break it down. Go Knights, go. Freedom. Text coming into 590-590. I'm putting new turf down at Tim Hortons Field. The CFL is back. The hammer is going to look amazing for the Grey Cup. And the field looks amazing today. That's from Scary Gary Rutherford in the Hammer. Putting down the turf, huh? Scary Gary. Is that artificial turf or is that real grass? Uh, Scary Gary, you have to <laughs> let us know. I, I think it's I think it's the high quality artificial stuff. Most oh, okay. most of the fields, it's all that new stuff yeah. that's like legit. Yeah. 
Yeah. I've, I think Pimo Field might be the only grass field in the CFL at this point. Edmonton got rid of their grass. I could be corrected on this. I, but hmm. I think Edmonton got rid of their grass within the last five, ten years. I've done. I've gone out to some fields in Toronto, um, the one by Scotiapond rinks in that Dufferin area. And they have like, it's a long artificial grass and they have those, those little rubber pellets in it. Yes. And yeah. I feel like, I, how, how do you get like, is that, why don't them, why don't, why doesn't everyone use that? Like, is that not the right stuff? Is that just for soccer? That's artificial indoor stuff. But yeah, I thought it was great. I thought it was grass. Like, you know, we always talk about guys rolling their ankles and knees and stuff. I, I don't know. I couldn't really notice the difference between that and regular. Well, and I think I think the Catholic school board in in some districts has also invested heavily in turning their high school football and rugby pitches into the turf stuff. I was driving by a place I played high school football in in Oakville, St. Thomas Aquinas. I went to Oakville mm. Trafalgar, but St. Thomas Aquinas in Oakville. Like when we used to play there in the mid to late nineties, it was it was your typical mud pasture, and now they've got mm-hmm. this gorgeous set up behind the school with an artificial field, their n- school name spray painted in the end zone and everything. It it looks pro like it, it looks amazing. Um, but it's, it's good to know artificial turf, scary Gary is uh, letting us know. <laughs> I love that. That's a pretty, ham- the hammer's a great wrestling town too. Scary Gary Rutherford sounds like one <laughs> hell of a wrestling name. All right. Um, Gord Stellick has been, Waiting. I don't know what his pro wrestling nickname would be, but he uh, he is the co-host with Nick Alberga of Leafs Nation pre and post when the Leafs are playing here on Sportsnet 590, The Fan, and he is uh, with us now. How are you, sir? I am good. And, you know, you, you mentioned when the Leafs are playing and with Montreal playing, uh, it sort of struck. Did it not strike you in the last day or two because it's been such a long time that this is we expected the Leafs would be playing in this round? It kind of was... You put it on the back burner. It's kind of a grieving process if you're a Leaf fan, but that was kind of a reminder last night. Well, and the way that it has played out, Gord, if the Leafs, I'm sorry that we're doing this to ourselves, but if the Leafs had advanced this far, they would be playing host to the Tampa Bay Lightning in games one and two. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They wouldn't be playing Vegas, so the game might have would have started Sunday or Monday. They would have had that first game, and... Yeah, let's face it, Tampa Bay is going to be an extremely difficult opponent, even though they're down right now to the Islanders and the Vegas Golden Knights. They've, they've been kind of the two juggernauts going there. But it's just a, you know, it, it was so abrupt, Scott and Ziggy. It just, it, 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 it's weird because everything was fine, relatively speaking, to those last three games. I'm, it's kind of like I'm reliving it, and your therapist would tell you, don't relive it. And then, you know, six days later, you had a whole different perspective and narrative, and somewhere somewhere you got to find what what you really think but really it's something people really haven't wanted they, they haven't discussed the minutia so much it's just plain disappointment well we we bring you on to be our therapist and now you're the one <laughs> digging it all back up so so thanks a lot for that by the way did you notice last night the montreal canadians fell behind and, and oh what happened the habs actually won the special teams battle scoring their goal on the power play and vegas's power play it's kind of taken a turn like the leafs had in the second half of the season i think they're 15 for their last 100 plus something like that but uh, despite everything i just laid out vegas looked pretty good and rolled last night yeah and you know scotty just and ziggy digging a little bit little bit deeper but to show when 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 you roll it means you also have to roll constantly as an organization and with gerard gallant getting the ranger job tonight it's a or today or announced yesterday it's a reminder that wow they even made a coaching change. I mean, this is an expansion team 
that came in and basically set a whole a whole new credo how to do things. Like this team right now, three years ago, the team that made the finals that David Perron, Eric Halla, James Neal were among their top forwards. Uh, Colin Miller, Nate Schmidt were on D. They're all gone. I mean, they added Pacioretty and Stone and Petrangelo after that. They weren't on that team that made the final. So to use the expression about how they roll, Scotty, it's, it's interesting that they've, they've, they've instilled this kind of credo, how you play a certain Vegas Golden Knight style of hockey. And Montreal, to their credit, I thought came out great in the first six, seven, eight minutes, and that was the right way to do it. Had some chances, had some physicality, but, man, they rolled. And, and Ziggy, it's nice when the big guns aren't scoring that all of a sudden the D come up with a ton of points as well, that different people contribute offensively, and that's what Vegas did last night. Yeah, Theodore was was great for them. Flurry was awesome in net. It's just it it's a tale of all the all four teams that are left have big mobile D that can score. Uh, I say Montreal's at the bottom of that pile, uh, in a sense of of where you're going to get your production from. But Vegas can beat you so many different ways, right, Gord? And I love the start, like you mentioned, from Montreal. We talk about we've been talking about that for the last week and. If Montreal can get out to that quick start, they have to find a way to get that goal because Vegas was just, they were not playing great those first 10, 12 minutes. It was almost like, okay, we should beat this team. Uh, we we have so many different weapons that we can go to. And you kind of, you, you're slow entering the game. And that's what Vegas did, I thought, last night. Well, Montreal was good, but Flory, it looks like he loves those head-to-head battles, right? And going against Price, I think he's going to elevate his game even more than what we've seen in this playoffs so far. Yeah, you know, he, he likes it. You're right. I think there's an element. He really enjoys uh, uh, Treasures competing against another elite goaltender. And, and all, all of a sudden, you know, this Montreal run they've been on, and boom, all of a sudden, first time in 440 minutes, you don't have the lead. And, and most of that, of course, was built up against Winnipeg. But what a phenomenal streak. And now you're looking today, okay, that seven-game winning streak is over. Vegas now has won five straight outscored the opposition, mostly Colorado, 4.2 to 1.8. So like two and a half times the goals per game compared to the opponent. So, I mean, uh, all of a sudden this Vegas juggernaut is the one that probably you focus to and, and, and see if, see if Montreal can kind of stop, stop this, um, I say train wreck that could be happening in four or five games. If they, if they're not able to get a W. Gord Stelic is our guest on leadoff Sportsnet 590, the fan, so a big game for Tampa Bay tonight because they don't want to go up to the Nassau Coliseum down 0-2. It's funny, the Islanders just wait to pounce on mistakes. And watching Steven Stamkos cough that puck up the other night, it, you talk about PTSD and the, the Leafs-Hab series, Gord. Who came to mind when you saw that? For me, it was Gelchenyuk overtime game five. I don't know why we're doing this to ourselves. <laughs> but but it is a reminder that other teams do it too sometimes, and sometimes some of the best players turn the puck over. Yeah, and 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 uh, yeah, I mean you had uh, Gelchenyuk was the most obvious. You had Dermot. You had the lesser uh, um, uh, giveaway, but wasn't a giveaway, but turnover by Mitch Marner that went the other way. But of course, and again, that was you know Jack Campbell's softest goal of the playoff, and so you had that. But then also you had Varlamov. You know that. Um, the other goal was not one he normally gives up the shot from the point. So you're, 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 if you're, if you're a team, you know, once you're in the playoffs and three of the four same teams are back in the final four, like they were in the bubble and especially the Islanders, because, you know, you view them as, wow, it's going to be hard to be a Tampa Bay lightning or a Vegas golden Knights, how to put your team together. But the Islanders seem like, you know, something you could do a little bit, uh, a little bit more readily. And, uh, 
they go up and yeah, like a shark in certain waters, they just wait, wait and pounce. And, uh, you know, that's kind of what, again, to go back the Leafs, as far as you kept waiting for them to do that in the Montreal series, uh, they did come back a couple of times to tie it, but then they didn't pounce what it mattered. Montreal did that. And certainly against a really talented team like the Tampa Bay lighting. And, you know, last year that's the series went six games and the first game was an eight, two win by uh, Tampa Bay over the New York Islanders. And the Islanders, if you remember, just flew into Edmonton and were just flat-out exhausted. It was kind of an unfair scheduling of that game, number one. And after that, the next five games uh, were incredibly close. The Islanders won two of them, and game six went into overtime, was a 2-1 win by Tampa Bay. So these guys have at least played each other a bit. You know, there's obviously a newness because nobody played outside of outside of divisions as we well know this past season but these guys have a little bit of history going back to last august yeah and this islander team they they don't do it doesn't look like they do much on the ice gourd right and messaging a couple of my buddies that coach and saying well what are the three things that the islanders do great for you and it all came up with the same threes one they kind of sit back in their own end they don't give up really tough shots every puck goes in the offensive zone and they're really good with not taking penalties. And I, the one they scored at in the Palmieri goal, the cross check from behind that call, I didn't even think it was a penalty. So it's like those three things have been a recipe for the Islanders to work. I'm not sure it works for every team, but for them, those three things. And I'm not sure Tampa has it in them to kind of wait out these games. What are your thoughts on, you know, the firepower the Lightning have? Can they seem to wait and be patient against the Islanders or do you think they're going to, you know, the Stamkos turnover, uh, the penalties, not being patient enough to wait for their chances. Is that something you see happening in that series? Yeah. You know, well, first we talk about the Islanders, Ziggy, that's a great point because they, they still hit, they hit a lot and don't take mm-hmm. penalties. And the other thing they do is, you know, again, so quickly people point to injuries. Anders Lee was their top goal scoring forward during the regular season goals per game ratio. And we know he's out for the season. Johnny Boychuk had a career-ending injury last year. Devin Taves, a solid young D, was a guy they had to trade for cap reasons. So, you know, they've made some changes too. And you, so you got to give teams credit when they, you, know, you quickly go and say, well, geez, it's tough to win without Tavares or Jake Buzzin in that game. And anyway, then we moved to Tampa Bay. And um, I think two years ago, the Columbus experience is not something they want to repeat. But in a lot of ways, it's, it's, uh, it's in their mind always. They could never go there like they did in that four-game sweep to Columbus. And even, Ziggy, the last, what, what three minutes of the game, and it, they didn't play very inspired hockey. Or, you know, mentally, they didn't seem into the game in game number one. But when they got that power play opportunity, wow. You just saw them turn it on. You said, reminder, reminder, New York Islanders, don't give Tampa Bay Lightning too many power play opportunities. So in a game where they really weren't mentally checked in, it seemed, for at least two-thirds of it, they only lost 2-1, and they were kind of coming in the waning seconds. With Gord Stelic on leadoff, Sportsnet 590, the fans. So Elliot Friedman was on this yesterday that the Carolina Hurricanes have given Dougie Hamilton permission to speak to other teams. Of course, he's an impending UFA. So this allows Hamilton and his agent to get the ball rolling on his free agency, which could conceivably pave the way for a sign and trade. I find that interesting because if you're a team like the Leafs, and you want to do a deal with Dougie Hamilton, why don't you wink, wink, nudge, nudge, do the deal now verbally and then sign it later on so that you don't have to cough up an asset if if you're the Leafs. But that's besides the point. What I'm saying is I think Dougie Hamilton needs to be on the Maple Leafs hit list here, and you've got to figure out a way to make it work. I'd love to see the Leafs acquire a true bona fide number one defenseman. 
Okay, so Scotty, you're absolutely right. The sign and trade is such a sexy NBA term. We can't wait to use it in hockey. It, you know, and with all, and I, I believe um, the, I, I guess the terminology is where I, I want to say differ with Elliot. Who can differ with Elliot about his opinion? But the sign and trade makes no sense. So you're saying the Toronto Maple Leafs could sign him to a seven-year contract, which term-wise teams aren't doing right now. Okay, they don't really want to give that kind of term out. But no, they'd rather let him sign for that extra eighth year and then pay Carolina uh, some assets and players to facilitate the trade? No. I see it more something like Don Waddell smartly is saying, you no longer have that discussion period allowed anymore before free agency. For a few years, you had that, what, 72- or 96-hour period where a guy could chat with teams. Now he's got to basically, at the, at, the, at the bell, start chatting to do it legally. So I, they're basically saying, look, if you want to talk to Dougie Hamilton and get it done now, then we'll probably get it. We'll take a draft pick in compensation. I mean, that's more what they're looking at. And, yeah. and there's value if you're the Toronto Maple Leafs or somebody else uh, in getting exclu- you know, taking exclusive negotiating rights and putting it in place now. And, you know, it's certainly, again, it, it sounds great, Scott, but the, the, the cap nightmare continues. That doesn't change for many, many teams, including the Toronto Maple Leafs. Like, you know, to me, Zach Hyman's a bigger priority than, say, getting a Doug Hamilton right now, but uh, Dougie Hamilton right now. But, uh, you know, that's where Kyle Dubas, I thought, did a, a, and his lieutenants did a really good job last year under tough circumstances, trying to, trying to squeeze everything they could and getting under the cap. Uh, it's, it's going to be a little bit more difficult, uh, I think, this offseason on, on top of finding a goaltender that you can't pay as much as Freddie Anderson made but still is going to make some kind of money. But I, I would love it in a perfect world if Zach Hyman and Dougie Hamilton were both on the Toronto D next year for sure. You just gave us a hook for our next chat that you would prioritize Hyman over a number one D. That is a conversation we need to have. Let's do it next week, Gord. Always good to hear your voice. We'll chat it soon. Sounds good. Have a good one, guys. Gord Stella, co-host with Nick Alberga of Leafs Nation pre and post here on Sportsnet 590. The fan, although you're not hearing much of Gordon Nick at the moment, what with the fact that the Maple Leafs are no longer playing in the playoffs. The Doug, yeah, the Dougie Hamilton thing is interesting. I know we got to go, but maybe we can chat yes, about it. Yes, we can. I'll well, just touch on it. We can on the other side. And Charles Barkley also had an incident at a fast food restaurant yesterday. That's audio we've got to get to. Dougie Hamilton, Ziggy, fire away. Yeah, I just, it, it's kind of interesting how Carolina's opened it up to him and allowed him to talk to other teams, right? This is a situation usually the team has control. They can talk to him, and you don't play hardball. Some teams do, but you kind of say, well, this is our offer. Um, best case scenario, or you can roll the dice and go to free agency. They're going to the player saying, talk to whoever you want. Like, I think it does a number of things. One, it it makes you more, I don't know, it, like, it, it, it would make me feel more welcome to re-sign with the team I was playing on and, and return rather than going trying to see if I wanted to get more money in free agency, right? Like, I just think that's a move. I, th- I think it's a great move by a team. I think it's great by Carolina. So by them going to Dougie Hamilton and say, okay, go and do whatever you want, talk to whoever you want, and see if you can get more money. I think that's the one thing. Well, as a free agent or soon to be free agent, you can be and say, well, wow, that's really nice of the organization to do. 
it makes me feel good as a player. You respect me, right? So that's one aspect of it. And the other way to look at it from Dougie Hamilton's standpoint is that what if there's no other teams that offer even close to what I think I want. And all of a sudden Carolina went out of their way for giving me the option to go and talk to their teams. And now they're offering me this contract. He's more likely to sign. Like you're going to, if you're Carolina, you're going to get them probably on a cheaper deal now. And you keep the player happy. Like, I think it's, I think it's a major win for the hurricanes and I'm curious to see how, like, this is interesting for me. I just, I, you don't hear about it too often, right? No. At a free agency, talk to you want. And also Carolina's banking on teams right now saying, I don't know. Like, I think it gives more. It's going to, I, this is what I think it's going to do. I could be wrong, but I think it's going to put like a little doubt into a free agent because teams aren't going to be as willing maybe right now to throw those dollars. Oh yeah. Yeah. We think we will want you. Like we think we're going to give you $8 million a year or some teams might be, you know what? We haven't really talked. We're not ready for it. It's not, we're not close to free agency. We need a couple more weeks. Like it's, it's, it's such an interesting day. Like it can go so many different ways. And I think it benefits. You would think it would benefit the player. I think it benefits the hurricanes. That's me. I don't know. I just, I thought it was interesting and there's a number of different ways it can turn out. I'd love for it to benefit the Maple Leafs. (laughs) Can you figure out a way for the Maple Leafs to come out on top? Do the math. Figure it out. I'll count it up. Damn cap. Charles Barkley lost his what at a fast food restaurant? We'll get into that. The Habs fall to the Golden Knights. Game two. Islanders Tampa Bay down in Florida tonight. And the Blue Jays, they have a big moment. And then they cough it up again. So Charles Barkley, that wasn't all he said in the NBA on TNT last night. There was an incident at a Chipotle. I lost my wallet today, Ernie. Mm-hmm. And Matt Powell's um, P-Y-L-E-S, I'm hoping I'm saying his name right, he returned it. Yeah. He got in touch with TNT and gave me my wallet back. And that was really awesome. I lost it at Chipotle. Shouts to Matt Piles. Give it up for Matty P. Chuck his wallet back. Lost it at Chipotle. I lost you it lost at Chipotle. It. How? Like, what, would he drop it eating a burrito or a bowl? What was it? I don't know. Maybe he sat in and left it on the table. And do you think that what Matt- do you think Charles Barkley orders at Chipotle? Like, I go with a big burrito. I go with a veggie burrito, the Sofritas. In a stunning but- development, a non-meat burrito. <laughs> But I'm wondering how many he eats. Like, does he go with two burritos? Does he go with a burrito, a bowl, and, like, six sides of guac? I'm just, I'm curious. I would love to know, like, what some guys order there. I I would be a total mark if Charles Barkley walked into Chipotle and I was working there. What do you mean? Well, I'd be a mark, like, that's a wrestling term for a... A stupid fan. Oh, fan like boy. I just, I just mark right out. I just, <laughs> That's terrible. Oh my god, it's oh my Charles god, Barkley. Oh yeah. Like I don't think I care about meeting a lot of people 
who are famous, but Charles Barkley, that, that he's on the list. It's funny. You know, we were talking about this behind the glass yesterday. Uh, me, Hayden, and Silent Vic. Well, okay, Hayden and I were talking. Silent Vic was doing nothing. We, we were just talking just about. We were talking about. You know, have you ever been nervous, or have you ever been like really, really excited to talk to somebody or interview somebody? And there's not really. Like, I, I mean, what, like. Nervous a little bit, but n never, never intimidated. Well, I think, I think it, it, when that, those situations have come up, it's less to do with the individual and more to do with some of the topics that that individual might specialize in or sure. be talking about. Like, yeah. I don't want to screw this up. Yeah. You don't want to sound type like thing. a dummy. Yeah. Right. I, I've done that so many times. It, I'm over that now. I don't, I don't care if I sound like a dummy. It's fine. Yeah. <laughs> whole point of being on the show. <laughs> exactly. so, whatever. This is what a lot, we do. A lot of C students in this business. <laughs> yeah, Let exactly. me just put it that way. <laughs> I didn't get into this business to do math. <laughs> now I'm covering baseball. What, what it you, is math. Hey, oh. what, do you think that Maddie P, who found Chuck's wallet? Matt Piles. Do you think he went through it? What do you think's in Chuck's wallet? Yeah. We well, take text to 59590. Exactly. Things you lost at Chipotle. <laughs> Terrestrial radio friendly texts only. Please. Things you lost at Chipotle. At Chipotle. Uh, the Blue Jays blow it last night, but they almost didn't have the opportunity to blow it because Vladdy gave us a moment. Two outs, top of the ninth inning, one nothing Boston. Matt Barnes gets a 97 mile an hour first pitch called strike on Vladdy and then hangs an absolute cookie of a breaking pitch on pitch number two of that at bat, and Vladdy sends it to the moon. Vladdy joins a very famous baseball player by the name of Johnny Grubb. Okay. Who did it in 1978. The only two players in history to hit a home run in each game of a four-game series against the Red Sox at Fenway Park. That, that is from the back of the media. Vladdy right Guerrero Jr., Johnny Grubb. <laughs> Johnny Grubb's a great baseball Did it for man. Texas in 1978. Johnny Grubb. Vladdy's awesome, man. Yeah, he's incredible. Like, just unbelievable. And to think that this kid at 22 years old might actually end up being even better than he is, is something. But Vladdy doing what he did led to the bottom of the ninth, which has everybody questioning Charlie Montoyo. The way again, things ended up again. last night, the way things ended up last night, it would have been easier for Charlie Montoyo to have Vladdy not hit the home run because <laughs> then they would have lost one to nothing mm -hmm. and, and none of us would be any the wiser. Why yeah. the hell did you go to Rafael Dolis in a 1-1 so, game, bottom of the ninth, with Boston's okay. two, three, and four hitters due up? Okay, so so what's happening with Charlie bon Montoyo? Is he just Is he overthinking it? Okay, so... That might be a loaded question. But well, there might be it. a loaded question. Oh. Number one, it's possible, and if he is, I'm almost forgiving of it because, man, has that been a terrible bullpen. But last night, and he copped to this after the game, and this is what changed my entire perspective. Ziggy always teases. He's like, if you don't tweet it in the moment, <laughs> then you can't go back and, and use hindsight later. That's right. But I didn't tweet at the start of the bottom of the ninth inning, why is Rafael Dolis pitching right now and Jordan Romano not pitching right now? Because, and maybe this is me just overthinking it, 
I assume that whenever Jordan Romano pitches, he needs three or four days off before he can go out there again. Like, because that's been the trend. Well, right? good. No, but yeah. keep in mind, like Friday night, they needed Romano, but he had a tight forearm. And then Saturday afternoon, in a five-run ball game, he's throwing the ninth inning and hitting 99 on the corners with his fastball. So I guess that forearm tightness disappeared because it certainly wasn't affecting his velocity. But having seen him pitch Saturday, I'm thinking, well, okay, he didn't pitch yesterday, Sunday. Maybe he's not going to pitch tonight. Maybe, maybe he needs two days off. Well, then Romano starts throwing, and I'm thinking, hmm. And then after the game, Charlie Montoyo is asked and says, well, I was saving Romano for a save situation, which is, of course, a, a lead of three or fewer runs Yeah. in uh, the final, what should be the final inning of the ballgame. Dude, the save situation, yeah. it's, it's, it's not defined in the rule book as a save situation, but the actual reality is you've got Verdugo, J.D. Martinez. The meat of that order, right? Xander yeah, Bogarts. Then, yeah, and yeah. then Devers hitting, coming up fourth in that inning, two, three, four, five in, in the Red Sox lineup in a 1-1 game. You have to go with your best. Against a team in your own division. You have to go yes. with your best. So yeah. so he gets them out, and they go they go to 10. And now you got, like Who's I he? said. Who's No, say, say you put Romano in. Yep. In the ninth. Okay. And now you go into the tenth, and then you've got Gritchick, Telez, and Guriel up, all for nine on the day. They're dry again in the top of the tenth. Romano's now done. Then like then what do you do? Then you, then go you to lose Do-Lease. it there. Then you go to Dolis. And then we're all sitting here or and everyone on, on the Twitter no? bo- machine is coming here and saying, Well, Dolis should have went in in the ninth. No, 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 no. They're they're mad at Dolis if he coughs it up, not at Charlie. Yeah. But but remember, you got the runner on second base. The argument, though, is that you would rather Dolis facing five six seven or six seven eight, depending on the type of ninth inning Romano has facing two three four. Get some three up three down. Then obviously it's five six seven. Yeah, strands runner saying, at I'm, six seven eight. I'm just saying. Say you have Romano coming in in the ninth, and he gets him to the tenth. Then the Jays don't score anything in the tenth, and then all of a sudden Dolis comes in, and you lose it. And then everyone's crying. Everyone's going to be upset again, saying, "How can you go to Delise? Why did you put Delise in the ninth and save Romano for the later in the game?" That's that's the opposite side of the argument. I and I think, like I said, it's easy All to right, talk but about those it after people, it happens. Those people who say that can just go on being mad. You're not going to win every night. I think baseball fans, Blue Jays fans, understand that. But what you want to see, the whole job of a manager because he can't control the actual execution on the field, the actual performance, the whole job of the manager, and I would imagine it's the same for any coach in any sport, is to put your players in the best position to have success. The best chance. Now look, Jordan Romano could have given up a leadoff home run to Alex Verdugo in the bottom of the ninth. The Blue Jays lose 2-1. to one. But nobody's slamming Charlie Montoyo for going to Romano. It's the right decision. Right, as, as, as John Gibbons always used to say, and I doubt he's the first manager ever to say it, sometimes the right decisions work out wrong, and sometimes the wrong decisions work out right. And you end up being criticized for making the right decisions because the result isn't what you wanted. And other times you get away with things that really truly deserve to be pointed out because things ended up going your way. 
that's a really frustrating series for me. Four games in Boston, they should have swept. But at the end, they of, are the better yeah. team. And at the they end, they should have the swept. They come away with a split. They finish where they started against Boston, right? It, and four split. more games yep. are are knocked off the schedule. Yep. This team, like they're playing the Yankees. They got Ryu tonight. Cole will go for New York tomorrow, so both aces will appear in this series. After the three-game set with the Yankees, you got a ton of Baltimore Orioles. And John Means is hurt. Baltimore's only starting pitcher worth talking about. You've got a lot of Baltimore coming up before the All-Star break. you got some Seattle mixed in there. There are a lot of winnable baseball games. A real chance to go on a run here. Oof. Baltimore's already, already 20 games back. And they had a good first couple weeks. So that's how bad they've been since. They're in this thing. They're in this thing, and what they've got to do is figure out a way, and I don't know if they can do it with their current personnel, but what they've got, and I'm speaking specifically about the bullpen, they have got to figure out a way to stop coughing these games up. Hmm. It would also help if the players behind them would make the routine plays. Kevin Biggio had a very bad night at third base last night, including... The third mistake of the night, none of which went down as an actual error in the box score, playing in the shift, start of the bottom of the ninth, the Verdugo ground ball on the right side of second base. He had to range to his left, ball deflects off his glove. That's a play that has to be made. Are we cutting him any slack because that's not his position? No, he's played a lot of second base in his career. Mm -hmm. Got to make the plays. Mm Got to make the plays. Left side of the infield defense cost him last night. The unturned, uh, for lack of a better way to put it, double play ball that would have gotten them out of the bottom of the second inning led to the fly ball that Guriel probably should have caught up against the left field wall that led to the Boston run. And they had that one nothing lead for most of the night until Vladdy obliterated it with two outs in the top of the ninth inning. But, yeah, but Biggio, Biggio doesn't make the mistake. Martinez is at first. Martinez doesn't then doesn't score from first. Like it's a totally different game if Biggio doesn't make those mistakes. It's yes. it's a, if I had to say, I'd say that was the biggest thing. That was the, that was a bigger takeaway for me in that game than Dolis coming in in the ninth is the Biggio mistakes. I don't think I don't think it comes to this. I think it's a Jays win. I think we're sitting here talking about Alec Manoa, and it's a totally different narrative. And then all of a sudden now it's Charlie doesn't know how to manage Dolis. We don't want to see him again. What's going on with Romano? Why isn't he coming in sooner? I just it changes everything. Goriel, I mean. Gorilla on left field, amazing arm. It's just hard not to put him out there with a guy that can throw like that. It's just, I don't know, like, how do they not bring someone in to help him with fielding? I, I don't get it. Like, I coming, think, like these, these are like, they're not even rookie mistakes. These are just, like you said, bad routes. Um, like, is it a focus concentration thing? I don't, I don't, is it, it's not a skill thing. It can't be. Yeah. And Gurriel's a natural, I believe, a natural infielder. I mean, he played some short he played some second base for the blue jays when he first came up i he might have had a bit of outfield experience back when he was playing in his native cuba but he he came up as an infielder so it can be a tough adjustment and fenway park is a whole other beast right the, the monster is a, a different wall it's only 315 feet down the line you've got the scoreboard that juts out so it's not like you're jumping up into padding. No. Right? Like you would be at Rogers yeah. Center if you were trying to catch a fly ball up against he's, the fence. He's played there enough, though. 
I agree. I, I'm not defending. Them. I yeah. just, I'm just saying it, it's just the mistakes. Yeah. The mistakes you don't see in the box score. They still make too many of them. And that's, I think a, a, a product of still being young. And it's also that they are not fully formed yet. Some of the guys who will be on this team when it is at its very best in the next few years aren't here yet, either because they're not up yet from the minors, they're still being developed, or they haven't been acquired via trade or free agency. And some of the players who are playing for this team right now won't be here when the very best days for this core arrive. Yeah, and there are a lot of best days ahead for this team. Just... Kind of spinning their wheels a little bit right now. I wanted to ask you and get your opinion on the ruling that Major League Baseball made yesterday. Um, They came out and they said any player, well, in brackets, pitcher, caught using the, quote, sticky stuff, that spider tack or or whatever brand they're calling it, um, suspended 10 days, but... With pay. So, okay. so a starting pitcher is going to miss two starts. Doesn't matter to the individual because he's being paid. Yep. Matters with all the pitching injuries across baseball. Matters to the team that loses the guy. Yeah. You, is you, it harsh enough? Well, though? look, Steven Matz has COVID. Yeah. Right? And is out 10 days after the positive test. So that changes Thursday's start against the Yankees to a guy who's yet to be named. Mm-hmm. Or maybe a bullpen day which obviously we're throwing on some depends before we sit down and watch a game <laughs> that's called a bullpen day for the Toronto Blue Jays at this point, right? So if it's if it's the Los Angeles Dodgers who have suffered the loss of Dustin May and who have had different injuries to different pitchers all year, they lose Trevor Bauer for two starts. That's a big deal for them, right? Is it enough of a deterrent? To get players they obviously, to stop they obviously, using they it? obviously don't care about it. Like it's, no. it's like we okay, we should care about it, but we really don't. Like ten days with pay, yeah. I'm sorry, that's but just lip service. Is, that, that's a joke, Zig. Well, if you want to yeah. stop it, tell them it's going to be ten games. Rest of the season. Gonna, well, yeah, rest of the season might be. I also don't uh, think they uh, have a unilateral. A you got to negotiate this. It. Well, okay. oh, they're going to have to negotiate with the union for sure. So I don't know, ten games, but like. With pay, with, with pay, pay 20, means the union 20, can't 20, grieve because yeah. it's not costing a player yeah. money. Yeah. 20, 20 games of the season, no pay. That's what it should be. You want to get rid of it? Get rid of it. How are you going to even – How are you uh, stopping it's going to be tough. Like how many, how many guys do you think they're going to get? Uh, <laughs> well, they've got the three strikes in your out policy for PEDs, right? 80 games for – offense number one, full season, offense number two, lifetime, offense number three. Remember, A-Rod struck offense number two and missed, tell me it was the 2014 season, maybe 2012. Something like that. Yeah, he missed a full season of baseball for the PED stuff. So, I mean, does it get that far? I I don't know. We also have a labor war in Major League Baseball, right? I don't (laughs) think next season is going to start on time. There There could be labor strife that eats into a season for the first time in almost three decades. The 94 players strike that delayed the start of the 90, wiped out the 94 playoffs world series, and then ate up the first month of the 95 season before yeah, they came a- back. Ask Expos fans about that. Yeah. Oof. Replacement players, mm. Montreal Expos players walking in free agency, Larry Walker, yeah. you know, lost everything. What could yeah. have been Scotty? What, what could have what been? What could have been? 
Will we be saying what could have been for Les Canadiens de Montréal? Okay. Amazing that the lighting up of the <laughs> Niagara Falls didn't spurn the boys on to victory. Boy, uh, just my opinion, but I, I think the CN Tower and Niagara Falls have never looked better, in my humble opinion. Now, that game went exactly like most people thought it was going to go last night. Montreal came out. They, they, they were barnstorming. They owned the first seven or eight minutes of the game. Um, couldn't, couldn't break through on Marc-Andre Fleury. And then Vegas kind of found their groove. Vegas is a much better hockey team. Um, that, uh, that's not a hot take, but they are. And eventually, as the game wore on, they became the Vegas Golden Knights. And, and as soon as they scored, Montreal becomes a much different team. They, they, can, they can't play from behind. They have to be out in front because they don't have the firepower to match Vegas offensive chance for offensive chance. They just don't. So that that that's that one game, that game one, that's going to be a microcosm for the entire series, I think. I think Montreal might get a game. I said yesterday that it's going to be six, but they might get a game. But I think Vegas, Vegas feels probably pretty comfortable after game one, right, Zig? Yeah, it's, they're in tough, right? <laughs> this team's, they've been good all year. Vegas, I know the power play hasn't been firing on all cylinders, but they've been one of the best teams in the league. And I feel like I've talked about them for more than this season. Just, I like the players they target and go after. They have a right, they have the right mix and they can beat you a number of different ways. Last night was a good example. I don't even think that's the best from Vegas. No, it's not. I they have yeah they have Scary more. As it that was, sounds yeah it was uh, the first ten minutes was okay. Let's see what these guys have, and that's Montreal's best. Yeah, listen, Carey Price was incredible. He was, he I thought. Was I thought it was his best. I thought it was his best game of the playoffs. Yeah, especially in the like second this, period, he was outstanding. Yeah. Oh, I mean, it should have been seven one eight one. Yep. Um, Flurry stopped a couple. Like there were some chances on the Canadian side, but they weren't the chances that Vegas had and missed or, or price came up big on. So I, 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 I hope Canadians can kind of make it a series, but I mean, if you, they win one, yeah. I think that's pretty good. If they can get it to six, it's incredible. Um, Jesus, I, I, I never to- heard this type of conversation before, but the Habs in the playoff series, where did we hear that? Yeah. Ah, the Habs can win a game. One. Yeah. 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 I just, yeah, it, this is, it's a different, this isn't, the Jets or, or the, the Leafs. Leafs, like yeah. uh, the Leafs are 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 not as are not are not as far behind as people think, but this is a whole different level. Yeah, um, and it also it almost is like what Colorado did for to Vegas in lose and beating them in those first two games of the second series. That's almost like a major wake up call. Like if you're Vegas and you fall down two nothing in a series, you're just like we lose another one, it's over. Like those next two games for them were their playoffs. They fall down three, nothing or three, one it's over for them. Like yeah. they know they aren't coming back. Yeah. But even, so, in, even in game two against Colorado, they outplayed Colorado. I think the shots were like 45, 21 or something, but they just, they happened to lose. And that, that ticky tack penalty in overtime. Yeah. Cost oof, them in game two was terrible against the avalanche. Yeah. Uh, Canada, Haiti tonight, huge, huge match for the men's Canadian soccer team. As they look to a push for world cup, 2022 qualification, uh, John Molinaro, uh, the founder and editor-in-chief of TFC Republic will join us at 8.35 to tee that baby up. We've got Arash Madani on the return of the CFL. A little Kawhi Leonard discussion. 
may get into the Blue Jays as well. Bruce Boudreau at the top of the 8 o'clock hour. And right now the phone lines are open at 416-870-0590, 416-870-0590. The text line always open at 590-590. If you want to bark at Barker, Kevin Barker for the half hour. The Blue Jays coughed one up last night. We'll talk about Charlie's decision to go with Dolis next. Barker with the perfect selection. Perfect selection after last night's Blue Jays walk-off loss in Boston. And Kevin Barker is with us for the half hour. He is the co-host with Jeff Blair of Baseball Central each and every weekday, 2 o'clock Eastern time here on Sportsnet 590. The Fan and Kevin, as always, is brought to you by Don Valley North Lexus, where you can expect excellence online and in the showroom. Visit DonValleyNorthLexus.com. I'm actually going to throw a curveball here. Kevin, and start with the positives, or the positive, if you will. Vladimir Guerrero Jr. So everybody was waiting for the Vladdy breakout, and would that need to be the result of some off-season weight loss? Is it just adding another year on to his life and gaining a little more experience, playing more games at the big league level? Whatever it is... This guy, I think, if it if it's even possible, is outperforming even the best expectations for him at this point in his career. And this is inarguably the most heavily hyped player the Blue Jays have ever signed and developed. He's he's incredible. Yeah, he's unbelievable. He's he's the best hitter in baseball. You, you know what was that? That was his fourth. Uh, he he'd homered in four consecutive games for the first time in his career. Yes, you guessed it. The last person to do that was Randall Gritchick. Uh, he he is. You know when I, I played for sixteen years, I've said this before. I said this on Baseball Central. I said this last night on on Blue Jays Talk. I played for sixteen years trying to get somewhere around where when you got a good pitch to hit, no matter what the count was, you hit it somewhere hard. He is annihilating baseballs that are in the strike zone, right? If it's middle away, he's hitting it hard somewhere to right field. If it's elevated, he can hit it anywhere. If it's right down the middle, he is going back Lake City most of the time. That That's almost impossible with the way velocities are, the way as many right-handed pitchers as he's facing. It's just the things he's doing mechanically at the plate, the, the adjustments he's made with his body, you know, how confident he is when he's playing first base, how much fun he's having. He's living on a different planet for the Blue Jays' sake, and, and for that lineup, you hope that he can continue to live on that planet. Yeah, and it's not just the numbers, though, uh, right, Kevin? It's like he's coming up in the big moments. We always talk about in hockey, okay, well, a guy scores a fifth or sixth goal in a game. It doesn't matter. But Vladdy seems, when he's when he's asked to come out and step up to an occasion, he does it, right? And last night's a great example. These aren't just numbers where they're blowouts, and he's he's just you know, padding the stats, he's coming up in big moments. And I think that matters even more than just the raw numbers. And he's leading all the old statistics, all the new age stats and analytics. He's just finding ways um, 
you know, to, to be the most important guy on the team. And we've been talking to start off yesterday's show is can Vladdy carry this team um, to the playoffs? Like say things don't change, say they don't get the pitching. They don't get, they don't add an arm to the rotation. Vladdy's playing well enough to carry this team to the playoffs. Is he not? No, I don't. Well, yeah, obviously he's playing well enough, but they still need pitching, and, and everybody knows what they need. You know, the games that you're supposed to win, they're going to have to figure out ways to win those. Now, obviously they got some some easier games coming up, the Orioles that they're going to have to make up some ground with. But the, the teams that they – and the games that they should win, they need to figure out the right arms to go to to, to win those games. And, you know, one through four – is probably, you could argue, one of the best one through fours in baseball. You know, the Astros have a, a pretty good one through four, so, the, the, you know, they could put up a fight. But you had George Springer to the mix, and now you're getting one through five, and, and maybe you, you know, get Randall Gritchick back on track driving baseballs to right center field. Now you're thinking about one through six, and Loris Gurriel Jr., you know, can start running into a few more baseballs, staying in the big part of the field. You're talking about one through seven. Kevin Biggio, can he stop swinging at a ball above the belt? You could, you could add one through eight. You know, that's a lot of confidence. But again, pitching and defense wins, and and we saw a little bit of defensive hiccup last night, and the pitching, the bullpen thing. Alec Manoa was was a you, you know he's taking a stride forward when it just comes to he had a, he had a stinker, he came back, he had a, a a decent start. Now yesterday he went to to Fenway Park for a young guy. It's not the easy way to. to to not try and pitch to the away from the green monster. He did that, right? He, I have a, a slider. I have a sinker. I have a four-seamer. I'm going to use it. I don't care what park I'm playing in. You know, the changeup work in progress, the slider, what is that? Is that a steal a strike slider? Is that a put-away slider? I don't think he really knows. But he, he, he throws all of his pitches with conviction. And for a young guy to do that on a big stage – that for me is something he can build off of and get a lot better. Now, does, can he make an adjustment by by adding a windup? Maybe, maybe that would help. But right now, I like what I'm seeing. Well, and the other thing with Manoa, it's very small sample at the big league level, Kevin. But his two best sure. starts have come in his debut, so you'd be amped up for that at Yankee Stadium and at Fenway Park. Yeah, that, I, I mean, look, he's going to pitch in both of those stadiums a lot more in his career. Some will go lovely. Others will not be so pretty, but I, I think it says a lot. Those are not easy places it, to pitch. It does. I, I don't know about you guys either, but I was under the impression that he threw harder. You know, I, I was thinking 6'6", 260. I was looking at 96, 97 instead of 93, 94. Pitching at 93, 94 in Fenway Park to a to a really good lineup is not the easiest thing to do, right? They they are balanced. They got righties. They got lefties. You got to mix it up a little bit. You got to pitch in. You got to elevate. You, you got to, you know, steal a strike with a secondary pitch. You know, he didn't use his change up a lot till the third time through, so he, he sort of put that in his back pocket, whether it's a bad pitch, whether he just wanted to give him a different look, but he's capable of doing those kind of things I like you know I like it the obviously he's a work in progress and he needs to make some adjustments of man you, you will take six innings in Fenway Park with one run every single time he goes out there and his slider was working for him how is it but it was working against righties and lefties how is that different for a pitcher to throw like how much diff, more difficult is it to throw to one you know, a lefty versus a righty. If, um, you know, it's got to be tough, no? I, I don't think it is. I, I just don't really know what his slider is. I, I, he doesn't really have a strike two slider. You, you know, it's it's one of those, uh, when he gets to, to two strikes from a right-handed hitter, can, can he throw it down on a way slider that's got that one to seven break? Well, we haven't really seen that. It's, it's more of a sweepy slider. You know, it goes side to side instead of that, what I just mentioned. That's a work in progress for him, but he does have a lot of confidence in his fastball. He can run a sinker into righty. He can elevate the four-seamer. He can go away to, to both hitters, which is a big deal. you got to be able to go down and away. He can do that. 
you know, the, the, the rubbing up the baseball, uh, how, how will that take shape? That's an interesting thing. He, he's not going to stop doing it, no matter who's in the batter's box. You, you saw Verdugo last night sort of look out. He was rubbing up the baseball, staring at him. He looked, he was like, eh, what? And then he just sort of turned his head and forgot about it. Well, you know, will a they'll will another Tim Anderson show up who's struggling and and yell out and say something to him? So that'll be an interesting thing. But look, I, I like what he's doing. I, you know, I have confidence I, every time he goes out there. And, and you know, maybe a couple of starts ago you couldn't say that, but I can say that now. Kevin, uh, I mean, I've watched this sport my whole life, so maybe I'm stupid for missing something. Can can you explain what the issue is with Manoa? rubbing up the baseball and why that agitates hitters it's different they've never seen it before they wonder you know who he's staring at what why are you staring at me it is very odd it's not something you see a lot of well i've never seen it to be honest with you uh, it's it's he he's told us why he does it but opposing teams don't know why he does that they just think maybe he might be you know uh, look at me i'm bigger than you are but I, you know he's not trying to do that i don't think he's just trying to focus lock in and, and and get ready to throw the next pitch where he wants to throw it but again it's I, I don't think it's going to be an issue so, throughout the league. I, you know, they have enough video that they're going to, uh, you know, see him doing those kind of things. They're going to get that out of the way when they're watching it. And a couple of guys are around the, the video room saying, why is he doing that? Who cares why he's doing that? Let's just get the fastball in the middle of the plate and try and hit a couple of balls hard, score some runs, and then he won't do that as much. They'll, they'll be a little bit more of that. But, but you know, Tim Anderson, you, you, the last time he started, didn't like it. You know, he yelled out there and said, what are you doing? Why are you doing that? And then he, then he started talking about his slider was right down the middle. You know, he was popping off about that. It's, it's something hitters will need to get used to. Again, he's not going to change that. But when you do those things and you put the spotlight on yourself, you're going to have to be good. You're going to have to back that up. And he seems to think he can do well, it. Well, mu- it, must be, it must be then his youth and, and maybe he's looking in directions hitters don't like. Because Jay Happ's a guy who is always rubbing up the baseball, to my recollection, during his years in Toronto. But maybe Jay's mannerisms, veteran status, whatever. I, I, yeah. I agree with you. It's not common. No. But it seems like it's far bigger a deal than it, than it should be. Um, I'm with you. Uh, with Kevin Barker on leadoff, Sportsnet 590, the fan. All right. No more burying the lead. Here we go. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So, Vladdy with the moment. Ties yep. a baseball game. Mm-hmm. Bottom of the ninth inning. 1-1 one, one tie. Yeah. Two, three, four, and if a runner reaches five, due for the Red Sox. That's a lefty-righty mix of Verdugo, J.D. Martinez, Bogarts, and Devers. It's it's a pretty good murderer's row of, of hitting there in the middle of the Boston lineup. Yeah. Jordan Romano, which we didn't know at the time, uh, but found out after the game, and I think he was lightly tossing in the bullpen, was, in fact, available. Yeah. It's got to be Romano in the bottom of the ninth, doesn't it? You would sure think so. It, it, okay, even if you do bring in Dolis, uh, you know, he pitches to his three batters. What's he do? He gets up the single to, to Kevin Biggio off his glove. Now, you can you can say at the big league level, 10 times out of 10, uh, a defender needs to catch that baseball, but he left his feet. It's very hard to yell at Kevin Biggio during the shift, that kind of thing. He threw a sinker to J.D. Martinez right down the middle. You can't throw a sinker to J.D. Martinez and think you're not going to – he's not going to get a, a hit out of it, at least hit a ball hard somewhere. Alexander Bogarts, he got away with the, with the cement mix and slider, right? For me, if I'm in the dugout and I'm the manager, I give him three batters. Uh, and Devers, the last time he faced Devers, he had a triple off of Delise. I'm, I'm taking him out, and I'm bringing in Jordan Romano. E- even if you want to – 
use Dolisan this way, okay? Uh, which I would not have. I would have brought in Jordan Romano because of who's coming up in the order and with the way the bullpen is, they're the worst bullpen in baseball. Playing, I mean, you could argue and you could th- throw up against, uh, you know, and match up against worse bullpens, but they're one of the worst bullpens, if not the worst bullpen in baseball. You use your best guy when your best hitter just went back Lake City and tied the game and he, that moment. And then to see Rafael Dolis running out of the bullpen instead of Jordan Romano, I think it's sort of a, you know, it's a, oh, really? That's who you're bringing in? It's sort of that kind of thing. And and I, for me, I wouldn't really want that with, with the young lineup and that kind of thing and, and what just happened and, and where they're playing. Again, it's, you know, we all know what the 10th the, the inning rule is where you start the runner on second base. Okay, you got to get to that point. You know, Jordan Romano is still standing, standing in the bullpen right now waiting to come in the game because he was not used so it's is it one of those things where it's a learning experience if you're a manager probably not you know you're you're I'm guessing you're thinking that you know I got Delise I got Romano Delise is going to have to be good if we're going to go where we want to go I'm going to give him a chance he was good last year well he hasn't been good this year Jordan Romano's been good. He's been good lately. In June, he hasn't given up a run. You go by that, right? You're going by short sample sizes here. You're not going by what guys did last year. You're going by what they did the last couple of games. And I only know one thing, two guys for me. That's Anthony Castro and Jordan Romano have been dominating people. I'm going to use those two guys right now. Now, it may change a week from now. But right now, those are my two guys. I, I would rather even use a- Anthony Castro than Dolis. That, that, that's just me. Again, they're, they're going on bat pass and, and experience and, and been there and done it before and, and where they're doing it at and all these things are coming into play. Every once in a while, it's got to be a little common sense of these are the two guys. Narrow it down to two guys. Simplify it as much as you possibly can. These are two guys. If I'm going to get beat, I'm getting beat with these two guys and nobody else until I have to use everybody else. Now, obviously, Joel Piamps has been good, but he he's already pitched in the game. So you've narrowed it down to two guys. And for me, you got beat and you didn't use your best guy. Can you go to sleep at night and go, huh? I lost this guy because well, I used my best guy. Nope, you can't say that. And this is one of those things where, again, they got the, one of the worst bullpens in baseball. When you got one of the worst bullpens in baseball, and I understand on the road, you save your closer, air quotes, for when you have the lead. They have the worst bullpen in baseball, or one of them. Well, and Zach Times Br- change with that. Yeah, and Zach Britton's still sitting down on the right field bullpen for Buck Showalter in the 2016 wildcard game, right? Still up there you and go. available for use. Like, it doesn't work. And I, I find myself... Kev, this year being pretty forgiving of Charlie Montoyo because of the situation down there. Like in a lot of cases, it's a personnel thing. They just don't have enough guys who you want and they throwing still in high leverage. And they still don't. No. Nope. But last night, it sticks out like a sore thumb. And then on top of that, Dolis contributed to the Friday night meltdown. And if you go back a month to the series finale with the Red Sox in Dunedin, where he's protecting a one-run lead in the top of the ninth with two outs. J.D. Martinez took him to deadway center field. Like, this is a guy who's vomited all over himself repeatedly against the Red Sox this year. And then you're sticking him out there in a do-or-die inning against the gauntlet. Two, three, four, five. It doesn't, it just doesn't compute. It doesn't yeah. compute for me. It doesn't make a ton of sense when, again, your your best two guys right now, today, well, <clears throat> well that would have been last night, obviously, are Anthony Castro and Jordan Romano, and you didn't use either one of them. Or, or, or can you, again, can you, I would think, I've never been a manager, but I would think when you walk away from the game, you think to yourself, man, I got beat. Well, I, I used my best guys. Did he do that? 
No. So you, you got to figure, I got to get better at this. I got to get better. Times, times right now for my team and my bullpen have changed. I, I can't set it up to where my closer is closing on the road. I know that's baseball 101, and I know that's the way it's supposed to be, but right now it's not that way. Right now you, you, you're sort of living to fight the next inning, and you just had a guy go back Lake City very dramatically. To have the least run out of that bullpen instead of either Anthony Castro or Jordan Romano just for me is a little bit of a head-scratcher, and, and – yeah, I know he said he on his Zoom call that he's saving him. Well, he's still saving him. <laughs> yeah, but it, 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 here's the thing. Say he is available, and we know he was available. What if Romano comes in in the ninth, and then all of a sudden the tenth, you have Delise go in, and then he blows it? Like, what do you do then? Do you not just come back and sit here and say, well, you know, well, I, I yeah, should have done that then. But he didn't. Yeah. Right. You're ragging you on Delise as opposed you, to Montoya. You got beat. You got beat with your best guy. Your best guy got you to the tenth inning. The tenth inning rule is going to separate it from everybody else. Even in the tenth inning, you could pitch Anthony Castro. Okay, you and you could come on your Zoom call and go, "Hey, I don't know what to tell you guys. I got beat with my best two guys right now in June. In June, these are my best two guys. I used them. Rafael Dolis is not. That's why he did not pitch. Why do you think he didn't go to Tyler Chatwood? Tyler Chatwood, three four weeks ago, was one of his best guys. Right now, he is not. He's pitching in mop-up duty for me uh, if he's on the team. That, yeah. that's the, these, these are the sort of things when, you know, it's, it's push comes to shove and you're having a young team who's fighting back. You know, Nathan Navaldi was dominating him. He's got – when he throws like that, he's unhittable, right? The little short-arm cross-fire action when it's 98 to 100. You know, he had the extra gear later in the game, which is, you know, I'm, I'm airing it out because I know I'm at the end here. That That's – that's different next-level kind of stuff. And then you could sprinkle in that slider, and you had the cutter, which is 94, 95 miles an hour. He was nasty. But, you know, Alec Manoa did his job. He kept him around. Now it's the manager's job to, okay, if we get beat, we're getting beat because I use my best guys. He did not do that. But do you think this is lost. talked about? Do you think this is talked about in the clubhouse with the players? Like, do the I'm guys sure in the clubhouse? You've been on teams before they got beat, and you, you were wondering why we got beat because well, for whatever reason. Yeah, they, everybody talk. It's a, it's a big room. There's 26 guys yeah. in there. You know, I'm, sure, think... I'm sure coaches are talking about that. I'm sure Pete Walker's talking about that. I'm, I'm sure the, 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 the bench coaches are talking about that. You know, the hitting coaches are all talking about that. I'm sure, yeah. It's, it's, it's only second nature to go, okay, we should have won that game. We should have won the first game of the series. We should have walked away with, here, with almost a sweep. You, you're talking about a sweep is taking you to the next level now you're getting closer to the two front teams that are first and second in the american league east yeah and you lost a game because you're not using your best guys like i yeah i just, just it, there's no there, sometimes it, sometimes there you would think there's just no excuse for it especially where they're at in the order and especially when Devers, I said this, if you have to go to the lease, I get it. And a three batter rule, yada, 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 this kind of thing. And then he comes out and gives up the little infield, infield single. Then he gives up the, 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 the sinker to JD Martinez, his first and second. And then he, he hangs the slider to Bogarts. If I'm watching that game, if I had to bring him in, I'm taking him out and I'm going to my best guy. There's two of them down there. Castro or Jordan Romano? Me, I'm going to Romano. I'm pitching to Devers with Romano. And, and, and then he can get an out or two, and then he can come back the next inning. Every, every once in a while, you got to go, hey, man, I, I, I get it that I rarely use you this way, and, and you've had trouble staying healthy, but right now, I, I sort of need you to do this. One up and down is all I want you to give me, and then I'll give you a couple of days off if you need it. It's just, it's, 
it's a, it's a very tough loss, and it's it's demoralizing. I'm assuming for a lineup that is they're relentless. You know, the the guys that pitch to this lineup now, especially one through four in that order, have to work hard. They really have to locate something with a lot of hair on it, and a lot of tunneling, and a lot of lake break to it. There's no easy out in there when it's the top of that lineup, and to, for for games like this to get away from you, they're going to add up. To, so I, I know Ziggy, you asked me, can can Vladdy carry this team to the playoffs? No, they can't. He he just mm-hmm. he just can't hit enough to hide games like this, and and this needs to be addressed if if it can be addressed. We'll ask Kevin Barker on the other side how close he thinks the Jays are to being a legit contender. Are they a pitcher away? Are they a pitcher in a position player away? Couple pitchers. And we'll get to a couple of your texts as well. Kevin Barker with us on leadoff Sportsnet 590. The fan time to bark at Barker on the text line to 590-590. Let's uh, start here. Perry and Hamilton asking the Swami Aswat, do we need to trade for relief help or will it be enough to just get some guys back from the injured list? I assume he's referring to Ryan Barucki and hopefully at some point Julian Merriweather. Yeah, Tom, Thomas Hatch maybe, but Thomas Hatch is going to come back as a starter. Charlie needs a no-brainer. That, that's you know, if you're going to go out and trade, you can't go out and trade for you know more Anthony Castros and more Beasleys and more Tim Mazes. You can't do that. Charlie needs a no-brainer. Charlie needs a guy that that when he knows he's going to him or he's got this inning sewn up, he can figure out how to pitch the other inning or the other two innings, and he doesn't have that. You know, so so how do you get that? Do you have to give up prospect? Do you have to give up big league? And I don't even have any idea who that would be. I I don't want to sit on here and guess who that might be. You know, you, the the one guy is Craig Kimbrell, but the Cubs pretty good right now. Yeah, the beginning of the year, you you would have sure thought right with his you know under one ERA and and he has an option for sixteen million next year. So you, so he wouldn't be a rental. That that would be a guy that you might go out and write and give up a Jordan Groshans and maybe a big leaguer for, but I'm assuming he wouldn't be available because the Cubs are halfway decent. The NL Central is not the NL Central, so you know who who is that? Is who is that? And and can you piece it together with guys coming off the bullpen? Can you really? Uh, right now, Julia Merriweather came back next week. You're okay giving him ball in the eighth inning with, with first and second? I don't, I'm not no, real I, sure I am. And, and it gets back to that, right? It's it's just too many options for Charlie to go to because he's throwing a bunch of names against the wall and trying to pick the right one. And a lot of the times, he's not getting it right. Well, so it's it's just it's it's very it's very hard to to say. Do they need a bullpen arm? Yeah, they need a legit bullpen arm, a no brainer. How did they get that, and, and it is, is that even available? Well, and people are saying, what about Nate Pearson? And I'm thinking, Ugh. that's another piece of spaghetti that you'd be flinging at the wall. And Okay, and- it, it, I, not to cut you off, but just say Nate Pearson's here, and, and would you hand the ball if they took the lead, say it's 2-1 to one in the 10th inning with a runner on second, you're handing the ball to Nate Pearson? No, not based not. on not based on what we've seen. No, there you but, go. So but, it's, but it's, Kevin, that's the I, point. I think the argument would be you get him up here and maybe you start him – in in lower leverage situations huh. and if he excels no i know you're laughing i'm not i i'm saying this is the point where we're at here in this conversation like yeah. they continue to try to find people who who they can develop trust in enough not named romano to use when the game's on the line they yeah, don't just to do 
to do these to, to try and experiment in the American League East and still try. I'm not saying they're going to win the American League East, but because the Rays are, are look like they're going to run away with it. But it's you know to to be a wild card team and trying to okay, Nate. We know you came up as a starter. You weren't very good at it. We want you to go back down. You weren't real good at it now. Now we're asking you to come back up in higher leverage situations and get key outs down a playoff stretch run against the Red Sox, the Yankees, the Rays. It's just it's. Really? Like, to, to, to ask a kid to do that mentally, is he, is he capable of that? He's not Alec Manoa right now with, with the mental part of it. I, I, I know we understand we saw him do that uh, two years ago against the Orioles for an inning and two-third, but to ask him to do that against the Red Sox, the Yankees, the Rays, it's just – you're trying to you're trying to piece something together that for me is not realistic, and then you know everybody's throwing their arms in the air, going, "Well, why'd you use Nate Pearson in that situation?" So it's until they actually can go out and get a no-brainer, I think we're just going to continue to have these conversations, right? And it, it's 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 too bad because when George Springer comes back, just think about what this lineup could be when George is back. And I who I, I have no idea where he's going to hit. You know, okay, is he going to lead off? Is he going to hit fifth? Who knows? But even even if he hits fifth, think about a, a pitcher trying to pitch to the first four guys and then having George Springer to worry about in the five spot. It, it, it's just, you know, it, and I, I know every Blue Jays fan in the world is going to be sitting around going, oh, when the seventh inning rolls around and our, and our starter gives us a halfway decent start and we're winning by a run or two, and, and who's he going to hand the ball to? It's it's that kind of thing. and And – it's too bad, right? It's too bad because offensively they're a decent team and, and defensively they're, they're trying to figure it out. Uh, you know, running the bases, they're a, de- they're a decent base running team. It's just that one little part of their game that right now is not very good. Text to 59590, Mr. Mike in Toronto says, Hater, Josh Hater is the guy. Well, the problem is it's the same thing with Kimbrel. The Brewers yep. and Cubs are at the top of the National League Central. They're not, I'm, I'm, they're not trading can, assets at this point. Exactly right. If you could get Hater... One thousand percent, you would do that. But the, why would the Brewers give up Hader, Josh Hader? I, uh, he is exactly what they need. He is a you know the roll to Chapman kind of thing. But you're going to have to either pay for that, or you're going to have to give up those precious prospects that that you have and you're so proud of. Are they willing to do that? And and we don't even know if they think they're good enough to make a playoff spot. Did, they, how do we how do we know that they think they are? That's another question. Well, but why wouldn't they be? Honestly, why wouldn't they be? They they have holes. They have imperfections. They got some defensive issues sprinkled around the diamond. We've detailed that. This team can hit. This team has a plus 49 run differential, and it's two games above 500. That tells me they win by big scores, and they tend to lose the close games. You know what you do to rectify those tight games that you lose? Pitch better. Yes, and you get help. You get bullpen help. They aren't that far off, Kevin. Are they the Los Angeles Dodgers? Are they... Are they the Tampa Bay Rays? No. No. But if they get into the playoffs with this lineup and George Springer healthy, who knows? So I would like to see them behave as though they believe this team is good enough because there's almost 100 games left, and these young kids are showing them that they're capable of it. Yeah, I'm with you. It, it'll it'll be an interesting thing to see. Yeah, and again, you know, you got two more years of Ryu. 
you don't want to waste that either. You know, right. I don't want waste is a big word, but you, you want to you want to surround him with some things, and which they've done. Robbie Ray's taken off. You know, Stephen Matz obviously has COVID, but he's he's made some adjustments. He's going to give you a chance to win games. Ross Stripling, you know, love him. He he's done everything possible to to give his team a chance. You, can, you can't argue that, right? Yeah, everything that he's had. Alec Manoa. Now I'm I'm okay with Alec Manoa being in the big leagues the rest of the year. I wasn't 35 innings. Why, why is he in the big leagues? But now you're seeing him. He's able to mentally separate a bad start and end up having a, a decent start to a better start. How many 23-year-olds or 24-year-olds you know that can do that? I'm, I'm okay with him being your fourth or fifth guy. So they're okay for me in the rotation. Now you got to figure out who you're giving the ball to in the in – the, in the seventh, eighth, and ninth inning, and it's a tall order, right? I, I, I just think this is what I think. For me, from now on, if I, if I were Charlie, I pick my best two guys at the time, not last year, not a month ago. Who was my best two guys? And I'm doer or dying with those two guys. And you know, that way, when somebody asks you a question on your Zoom call, you can go, you know what? I got beat with my best two guys. We'll, we'll show up tomorrow and get after them. Yeah, I put them in position to succeed, and they didn't execute. There you, know, you go. A, pretty simple. Put, put it on the player. Pretty put simple Put it on answer. the player, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. So it's Ryu tonight for the Jays. Cole tomorrow night for the Yankees, and we'll break it all down with you 730 Thursday morning, pal. Look forward to it. Yeah, can't wait. Have a good day, everybody. Right. Kevin Barker, Baseball Central with Jeff Blair, 2 o'clock. This afternoon and each and every weekday here on Sportsnet 590, The Fan. Kevin brought to you by Don Valley North Lexus, where you can expect excellence online and in the showroom. Visit DonValleyNorthLexus.com. John Molinaro on a huge night for Canadian men's soccer. They got Haiti as they look to advance in World Cup 2022 qualifying. We're all over Euro 2020 and 2021 as well. What happened to my Scots yesterday? Groundskeeper Willie and me, not happy. Not happy. Molinero at 8.35. Arash Madani on the return of the CFL and Kawhi Leonard. Bruce, those are two separate topics, by the way. And Bruce Boudreaux, former Maple Leaf, former and likely future NHL head coach on the other side. Habs lose to the Golden Knights. Islanders look to take a 2-0 lead on Tampa Bay tonight and some Leafs stuff as well. But first, here's what we're talking about this morning on leadoff Sportsnet 590. The fan of Laddie Jr. home run with two outs in the top of the ninth inning. Wasn't enough, ultimately, as Boston walked it off, beating the Blue Jays 2-1 to at Fenway Park last night. Rafael Dolis getting hung with the loss. Stanley Cup playoffs. The Habs fall 4-1 in Game 1 in Vegas against the Golden Knights. Tonight, an 8 o'clock puck drop on Hockey Night in Canada. It's Game 2. The Islanders having won Game 1 into Tampa Bay to take on the Lightning. NBA playoffs. Hawks and Sixers in a great series now. Joel Embiid was hobbling and did not score a point in the second half. Atlanta, a 103-100 victory over Philadelphia. Back to Philly it goes with that series tied two games apiece. And we were joking that Kawhi had him right where they wanted him when he went down 2-0. He and the Clippers to the Jazz. So far, it's true. 118-104. Los Angeles over Utah. That series is tied at two games apiece. That series is heading back to Salt Lake City, Ziggy's favorite town. And in uh, Euro 2020, Czech Republic 2, Scotland no score. Slovakia over Poland 2-1. to one. Spain and Sweden, scoreless draw. Today at noon, Hungary-Portugal. And then at 3 o'clock, a big one, France and Germany. Bruce Boudreaux. game. Yes. Yeah. You going to be uh, tuning in for that or what? Yeah, for sure. My heart's a little broken. Just... I, my... What happened yesterday? Uh, well, we'll, what get, happened? we'll get into that with John Molinaro at 835. Yeah. But my Scots, um, 
It ain't going to get easier with England and Croatia on the docket coming up. Oh I think the Czechs were the team to beat. And uh, who's going to score more goals, Scotland or North Macedonia? I'm up by I'm up oh, one. Oh, geez, I'm so glad we didn't make a bet. I'm so glad we didn't make a bet because I'd be I'd be nerved now. Uh, he is a former Toronto Maple Leaf, former and likely future NHL head coach, and he is an analyst of these NHL playoffs and Stanley Cup playoffs for us here on leadoff. Bruce Boudreaux is with us. Good morning, sir. How are you? I'm doing well. How are you guys today? Well, uh, we're good. I'm uh, licking my wounds after my Scots got beat Euro 2020 yesterday, Bruce. But uh, we wake up and we're up and at them. Um, if you're Dominic Ducharme, you're likely licking your wounds as well. As you, I mean, Montreal scored a power play goal. Vegas's power play continues to struggle. The Habs win the special teams battle, but get outclassed in 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 the game on the whole. I mean, if you're Dominic Ducharme and you got an off day today and you can stay away from the poker tables, uh, what are you drawing up for game two? Because, man, oh, man, this Vegas team is on another level. Yeah, I think they're just better. <laughs> I mean, there's not much you can draw up. I mean, you can't ask Carey Price to be better. Um, that's, that's for sure. I thought... It, he made some saves that would have, you know, could have, could have got the game a little out of hand um, a little earlier. But you know what? Um, they're bigger, they're faster, and they're stronger, and I think they're deeper. And that's a tough combination to beat. And, you know, Montreal won seven in a row, and it's tough to keep that going, too. It wouldn't surprise me if Montreal came back and made it uh, a, a lot tighter game um, tomorrow night. But, uh uh, right now, Vegas looks like they're on a team on a mission. Yeah, and that's kind of nice to have, right? If you're Vegas, it's it's not just one line that beats you. It's multiple lines, and I'm sure on some of the best teams you've coached, it's you have three of the four lines going, and I mention this to Scotty all the time. Vegas, it's not a top six team. It's a top nine team, and yeah, you can lock up one line. You can lock up two lines, but how many teams can actually lock up three lines and that's the most successful teams. You look at the Islanders, they usually have four lines going and that's how they beat you. Um, how hard is that to, to coach against a team that has three lines going at all times? Well, it's, it's really difficult. And I think both in Vegas is uh, um, in, in, in Vegas and in, uh, in the Islanders and even in Tampa Bay, you've got four real good lines going. So, I mean, it's even tougher and the deeper you get, and that's what they talk about is depth. I mean, it's, it's easy. If you're a coach of the other team to lock down one line. And I think, um, uh, Vegas showed it against Colorado. Uh, you know, there's, uh, I think, uh, the Islanders showed it against Boston. I think, um, uh, Boston showed it against the, the caps, when you can shut down the one line, you can usually succeed. But when you have to go too deep and three deep, then it becomes more difficult because now you're facing the defense pairings, the five, six pairings and the uh, three, four. And I think, you know, in Montreal's case, they were their top four D were almost from the halfway mark of the first period were getting double shifted. And that's, that's a, that's tough to do. Um, especially in a long series, but I mean, when you're getting pounded on and pounded on and pounded on the way that Vegas keeps coming in and doing it to you. And uh, in the end, um, they got the goalie too. I mean, uh, Flurry stopped everything except for the, 
the Caulfield goal, I mean, that they threw at him. And there was a, Montreal had a lot of good chances that could have changed the game a bit. With Bruce Boudreau on leadoff, Sportsnet 590, the fan. So a uh, little truth serum time. When, when, when Vegas came into the league, Bruce, and you looked at their roster, and I, I apologize, I, I don't remember when you first would have faced them. Um, of course, you were coaching the Wild at the time. Was it relatively early in the season? When you first looked at that roster on paper, did you say to yourself, there, there's no way that this group is going to have expansion results? Or were you surprised at just how quickly the organization put it together, figured it out. Obviously, they were in the cup final in their first year. Well, I remember we played them, I think, the fifth game of the season um, that first year. And um, they ended up tying it um, by pulling the goalie. And we ended up winning it in overtime. But the one thing you noticed is they had no rookies on the team. They had no young guys on the team. And they had all guys that were you know, second, third, or fourth liners on any other team. So the, the, they could all play. And the biggest surprise was was maybe some of their defense. You didn't know how good they were. I mean, they'd had Chase Theodore, who I'd had in Anaheim uh, the the year before, but at the and he was still young, but he wasn't a first-year guy. But he was given, you know, um, uh, first-line minutes of 20, 23 minutes, and and you'd, we knew he was going to be good, but we didn't know they were going to be that good. And and the one thing that they they had right from the beginning is they had goaltending because you know you pick up uh, uh, in in the draft the same way as Seattle. The one thing you know they're going to have is good goaltending um, because every team has to leave one unprotected. And uh, uh, so I mean they're going to start with two deep there. So we knew they were good. We were lucky in that. Uh, we won that first game, and then we played them a couple weeks later. And Jason Zucker was from Vegas, so I mean, uh, we were all pretty pumped up to get there, and and we ended up winning three to two or something. Um, but as you know, I mean, history goes that Minnesota's had a pretty good uh, uh, go against Vegas, but they were never an easy out. They were always tough because they always had depth. I mean, uh, um, they didn't have to go through the growing pains of of, of having three or four young guys in the lineup and watching them mature. They were already mature that they got them. They're at least a fourth year pro. How important is defensive scoring in the playoffs for you? Like look at last night for Vegas, you get Holden Martinez and Theodore with goals. Obviously it's nice to get some contributions, but when you get three in a game, I feel like you almost shouldn't lose any games. Montreal's defense were good in the second series against the Jets and didn't have much going on against the Leafs. How how much do you like to get your defense involved in rushes and offenses and you know just off of ozone draws? Is that is that high in your list? I just know as a player, as a forward, it's the worst thing trying to back check on a defenseman every single shift. Yeah, I mean, you know what? In today's game now, I mean, you don't come up as three. You come up as four or five. I mean, mm-hmm. uh, you you practice. You practice uh, everybody coming up together. And um, we the good teams have the have some good offensive D that really make it uh, very difficult. I mean, you can go to Colorado. I mean, during the regular season, they're the best team at the D joining the play. And when you have the forwards that with the speed that can push the D back and that fourth guy always seems to be open because usually 
I don't want to get too technical, but I mean, you have an F3, so you have a, a high back checker, but you need two back checkers. Yeah, the guy uh, down low has to come back. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and so to get the defenseman, and that's that's really difficult because if you start doing that and you only have one four checker, you're only going to score on the rush, and that's that becomes very difficult as well. So I mean, um, to, when you can activate your D, and and all coaches talk about it now, and all teams look at it, uh, it becomes a much more dangerous team uh, if if you can do that. I mean, um, that's one of the reasons. I mean. Uh, Tampa's a great team, but their defense hasn't been scoring any goals this year. So, I mean, that's what's making it a little more difficult against the, against going to make it more difficult against the Islanders again with them this year. Yeah. I wanted to ask you about the Islanders. I was letting Scotty know earlier, three things they do well for me is they back in on their own end. They don't give you any chances. Um, their four check, every puck goes in, like nothing gets turned over at the blue line. Um, you know, that's that's one of the biggest, the, the toughest things to play against, and they don't take penalties. Um, can they go the whole way that way? Like, I'm assistant coach at UFT, and we uh, that's one of the defensive zone. That's one of my big things is just no, da- no danger shots from the slot. Keep everything to the outside. Limit the stars and what they can get. Um, but can you go the whole way that way? Because it's almost like the Islanders seem like they get stuck. I know they win game one, but some games they get stuck in their own end, and, and they're kind of sitting around waiting for the play to come to them. Can that patience work to win a Stanley cup? Well, I think it can. I mean, it's uh, the way I play and I haven't won a cup yet, but if you've got the right players, I mean, you want to make sure that everything goes deep. I mean, because most, uh, there's so many goals uh, on rushes are from turnovers. And if you don't turn the puck over, then the other team has to go 200 feet. So it's a, it's a, to me, it's a, if you've got a big, strong team like the Islanders, you want to get the puck deep and you want to forecheck and you want to cycle and you want to keep the puck down low here. So, I mean, that's to me a, a perfect, a, a perfect way to play. And um, th- they do, they do that as well as anybody and it's a simple way to play. So it's not like you have to go up there and you have to draw uh, and it's a, it's not complicated. So, I mean, uh, the players understand it and I'm sure Barry practiced this over and over and over again. And I always, um, I was telling somebody it, it's the way it works is if you think back a long time ago about Vince Lombardi, he only had four running plays, but they would practice the green Bay Packers would practice those four plays all the time until they got so great at it. that It almost always worked. And it's the same way with, with, with hockey on the four check uh, on the cycle. And if you can just practice that and practice that and get it right, then all the time it's, built into your head that that's what you do. You don't take unnecessary chances. And that's where Barzell sometimes gets in trouble because he wants to make those fancy plays. But in the playoffs, the last two series anyway, he has bought into that thing. And now they're all, it's like a well-oiled machine, the Islanders. And yes, they can win. And uh, I think they're going to prove a lot of people uh, wrong this year because I think they got a really good shot at it. With Bruce Boudreau on leadoff, Sportsnet 590, the fan. Uh, Bruce, Gerard Gallant gets the job with the Rangers in New York. Um, pretty successful head coach. He's had a number of stops. You've had pretty good tenure, Washington, Anaheim, Minnesota, in, in your three. 
NHL head coaching stops. Like Gerard's been in Florida and Columbus and uh, Vegas and and now with the Rangers, lots of success, but but not necessarily in any spot for a long time. I know you guys understand that you're hired to be fired. I mean, that's been a truism for decades. It didn't just start recently. But why is it that teams are so quick to move on, seemingly more so now than in the past? Well, I think it's, um, I think owners and owners get impatient uh, is one of them, but uh, it's a win now league. And uh, if you don't win, you know, like you mean, within your first three or four years, they, they look for somebody different. I mean, the, the exception to that rule for me has been um, Tampa, whereas they've had the patience because John, who's done a great coach and done a great job, but, I mean, it would have been easy when they lost to Columbus uh, 4-0, but they knew it wasn't the coach's fault. They did a great job. They held on to him, and, uh, and, and, they, and they ended up winning the Stanley Cup. I think some teams have a little more patience than others, and it's just like in everyday life. Some people have more patience than other people, and the ones that are patient, patient usually end up with, with the success. But uh, uh, Gerard's a good job, a good coach, and he's going to do. He'll do well in in uh, uh, the Rangers. But like you say, it's a. I say it's a win now league. So I mean, the the lifespan of a coach, you can look at it is is uh, usually not more than five years if you're if you're really lucky. Always appreciate yes. Always appreciate the insight, Bruce. Thank you for doing this, and you know we'll call on you again uh, very, very soon. All right, you guys have a great time out there. You bet, okay. Bruce. Bruce Boudreau, former Leaf, former NHL head coach, likely future NHL head coach. Good dude. Let's uh, spin to a Rash Madani right now, Sportsnet reporter. He is a CFL insider. He is on the Blue Jays beat, but we got to get to we got to get to the details that we need to know first. That background, when you were on Tim and Friends yesterday afternoon, yes, is that is that the new backyard? No, no, I'm out in cottage country. Oh, so I woke up! I woke up early just for you no, to magnificent. No, no, you magnificent did, human. You didn't go to bed. Be honest. Be honest. No, no, I can't. <laughs> I the least put everybody to bed last night, Scotty. Good night, Oh, man. Um, where do we go with that? Um, well, With listen- that bullpen door open, don't you just hold your breath and be like, oh, man, who's be now? Well, I'll, I'll say this. Teoscar was not happy after last night's game. Vladdy was not happy after the Friday night loss. Yeah. Like, but you know what? They deserve a ton of credit for the way that they played Saturday and Sunday after Friday. You could fold like a cheap tent if you, if you wanted to. I mean, they're still swinging. They're trying to get it done. But the frustration is starting to show on the faces of the position players. And rightfully yes. so. And rightfully so. And, and honestly, this is, this is not a consolation prize, no room for crybabies, blah, blah, blah. But what I like about it is that you're seeing these dudes actually care. Like, you're seeing that winning matters to them a lot. And, at, like, if there's, there are no silver linings on Friday, there are no silver linings last night, but it shows they give a bleep. And, uh, and that's, that, that's a good thing. 
That's a good thing. Uh, the bullpen is not a good thing. And something needs to be done about it. Like the, I think to me this series has shown that more than any other moment this season. Are you okay with them just hovering around 500 and wait till Springer comes back, wait till the trade, de- trade deadline comes around and, and make a move? Or is this a, this team deserves more now? No, Ziggy, I, I would say this team deserves more now because Springer coming back will be fine. Um, but that bullpen does not offer confidence to that team. And that's that. the issue is... Ziggy, when, when there's issues within a team that don't get addressed, how much can that fester? Yeah, it can it can cause problems. It can some guys want out if it happens long enough. <laughs> some and, of your best players don't want to be around for it. And you just gla- start to glare at some other guys and, and mm. all those things. Now, look, we know what the schedule is coming up. Um, it is quite cream puff going into the All Star break, other than the two Rays series. But, but this is this is not a five alarm bell fire. But this is look. I'm up in cottage country. This is a campfire that's kind of gotten a little out of control right now, and something needs to be done about it. Because how many games have the Blue Jays just gift wrapped away? Like I, I can just off the top of my head, the the Chatwood meltdown against Cleveland on the Sunday, Friday night against Boston. Uh, last night against Boston, felt like there were one of the White Sox games was yep. taking. Yep. Um, the Robbie Ray start. Yeah. So we're talking about four in the last, what, two weeks? Um, so this is, a, this is a winnable division in a winnable season. The, the Yankees are not going to be this down forever. No, and and I agree it's not a five-alarm bell fire, but let's just say that Cosmo Kramer has lit the cigar in nice. Susan's father's cabin. Nice. Right? And we know how that ended up and yes. the explaining that George had to do. Uh, with Arash Madani on leadoff, Sportsnet 590, the fans, something to chew on brought to you by Great Canadian Meat. So the CFL has approved a 14-game season yep. that will begin on August the 5th. Yep. Is this, and I, I know that there's also broader context for the discussions with The Rock and the XFL, but, but specifically on, on this announcement and what will begin in less than two months, is this literally life-saving for this league? Yes. Yeah. I mean, they couldn't go two years without playing. They just absolutely could not. And... They're going to lose some money. You know, some owners are going to lose some money this season because of it. Um, they needed to have some fans in the seats. So I would suspect the Ontario teams are going to start on the prairies and in the Rocky Mountain. And then hopefully, you know, for them by September, they'll be able to return home to play in front of some people. That's the hope here. When you're the only professional sports league in North America that hasn't played, and you may have gone a second season, that would have been the death knell. They needed to do this. Yeah. And the no fans is a tough one, right? Like there is talk that there is going to be what 5,000 in out in, out in BC. And I think that's, 
that's kind of encouraging. And obviously in Ontario, it looks like things will start opening up and we're hearing what 35% capacity stage two. So I just, I, I don't see how the league can even operate with no fans. I think some fans will, will kind of take the edge off, but. Well, 35% capacity stage two is pretty much a sellout at BMO field. Isn't it on the regular? That's that's your boom, boom. Yeah, right. Um, so we now make the physical distancing joke. <laughs> now, yeah, six feet apart should be no like problem. They don't, even, they don't even need to put any, you know, any arrows pointing anywhere or any cardboard cutouts <laughs> uh, at BMO. But at a place like Hamilton that does really well, look, it's a box office league where it's about selling tickets two by two. So I'm led to believe that BC will not be having any home games until at least early September. So BC will start on the, uh, and, and yeah, yeah, that's, that's the hope guys that they'll have some people in there. And then, you know, where are we going to be in late September? What's the situation going to be in October? Nobody knows. So you're forecasting for something that you think, and you're on track to be at a certain level by a certain time uh, so that the damage financially won't be as bad as what it would be if you had started on time. And the season's going to be pushed back, right? Great cup was not going to be not going to happen until mid, mid December. How is that yeah. going to be in Hamilton? Too bad it's not in Regina on a beautiful, warm December Sunday. <laughs> December 12th outdoors. Um, but and, and look again, here's what we don't know is that you just hope that we're going to be back to some kind of normal by October, September, October. Uh, the, the beauty of a gray cup as much as Sunday is the spectacle. The beauty of gray cup is Thursday and Friday and Saturday. It is a week. It is Canadiana. There's a whole bunch of parties. There's a whole bunch of events. It's a gathering of people from all over the country. Hopefully people from all over the country will be able to gather. Um, and then it's a big revenue generator for the host city and for the host team, not just the selling of tickets, but everything that goes on and around it. So um, here's, here's just hoping guys that, Forget the sport part of it, just the life part of it. That you know, we'll be able to do things like go to a football game or something in the fall. Yes. Maybe even in San Francisco when the Vikings are playing that uh, that Bay Area football side. There is a U.S. Thanksgiving tilt in Santa Clara, I believe, November the twenty eighth. Niners Vikings. We're, we'll cross our fingers that we can get there. Uh, by the way, and you got to separate your personal feelings being a Lakers fan from the whole Clippers situation. Mm-hmm. Man, Kawhi can do it, huh? And oh, I know man. Paul George had a big night as well last night, but it's almost like down 0-2, Kawhi's got you where he wants you, whether it's Raps, Bucks, Eastern Finals a couple of years ago, the two playoff series so far this year. He's ruthless. Yeah. He is. He is just a competitor. I, I still, I was having this conversation last night. I, I still don't understand why Kawhi is not more beloved for what he brought to the city and to the country for that matter. But because he left a rash and he owed us, he owed us. Oh, the championship wasn't enough. Huh? He didn't owe us a damn thing. I, I, right. I mean, I was saying this earlier, like between Vladdy and Austin Matthews and Kawhi, who was here for a year. I mean, we've been really fortunate to watch people who play their respective sport at the very top of 
very top rung of the ladder. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah, there's no question. There's no question. Maybe the hockey team can round away. <laughs> like it, it's the same. It's the same people who are saying Kawhi left us. Go leaps go, and I'm like, okay, but but it chance if it will get out of the first round. Although, yeah. Well, uh, we'll see. He's got Chris Paul and the uh, Suns on the docket if they can complete the comeback. And I'll tell you, I'll tell you this: Utah needs Mike Conley back, and they need Donovan Mitchell to be healthy. If if somehow that can happen, this is still a series. Um, but but the best player on the floor, and it kills me because I love Luka Doncic. Uh, best player on the floor in both series is Kawhi Leonard. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. We got John Molinaro coming up, so we got to let you go. Um, big game for the Canadian men's team tonight against Haiti as they try to move on to the next round of qualifying, getting closer to a World Cup berth in Qatar in 2022. And, of course, we'll be a part of it in 2026 as, as part of the uh, three countries along with the U.S. and Mexico hosting. What I want at some point, we've got to have you back on and, and, and relive 2012 Honduras. Yes. Yes. That experience you had, that experience you had covering that match, craziness. Yeah, no, it's it's an awesome story, and uh, yeah, we'll, we'll I'll come in studio and we'll talk all about it. Well, don't invite yourself in. I mean, well, you know, like, I have a pass card. <laughs> oh yes, you do. That's right. <laughs> well, if you can ever drag your rear end back from cottage country into the big city, come on in, and we'll have that conversation. Thanks, Who pal. Who better to do it with? You, yes. You can start going down the list now, uh, Tim and then Blair and da 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 da. Uh, we'll talk soon, pal. Thanks for this. Okay, see you guys. Arash Madani, Sportsnet reporter on the Blue Jays beat CFL Insider. The aforementioned John Molinaro, huge night for Canadian men's soccer. They've got Haiti. Uh, they are up one nothing with a road victory, one nothing in goals on a road victory in Port-au-Prince on Saturday, so they can advance to the next round of World Cup 2022 qualifying with a victory tonight or even a draw and we'll obviously talk a little euro 2020 david marshall the scottish goalkeeper should he have stopped the peter schick say that properly midfield shot in the scottish check game yesterday we'll break that down as well with molinero next the cabin burned This is the official tune of Euro 2020. Obano, never hurt anybody. He is the founder and editor-in-chief of TFC Republic, longtime soccer writer and analyst. Been on the TFC beat since day one. Was in South Africa for the 2010 World Cup. He is a friend of the show. He is John Molinaro. Good morning, sir. How are you? I'm um, well. Thanks, guys, for having me. It's great to have you on. So, I mean, we don't want to bury the Euro 2020 or 2021, as the case may be, lead. But uh, Canada Haiti tonight. We had Christian Jack on the program yesterday morning. He said, "Look, this is 
This is the biggest tilt in Canadian men's soccer in decades. It's an opportunity to advance to the next round of World Cup 2022 qualifying. Canada, a one nothing road victory in Port-au-Prince in the first leg of this two-leg deal with Haiti. They've got them in the, quote, home game tonight in Chicago. The way is paved, John. In your view, how big is tonight's match? Oh, it's massive. I mean, absolutely massive. I mean, you were talking in the previous segment with Arash about the game in Honduras. And I think it's the biggest game since then when, you know, Canada had a chance to go to the final round of qualifying and, you know, spectacularly crashed out. Um, yeah, I mean, you have to keep in mind that, you know, Canada hasn't sort of reached the final round of the World Cup qualifiers, you know, since the 1998 uh, World Cup. And I think just getting to that final round, um, you know, not just a big, big boost for, for the national team, but I think just for the game in general in, in, in Canada, because this is really uncharted territory for, you know, whatever it is, 23, 24 years. So I think it would be a big boost for, um, you know, soccer in Canada. It would really draw some much-needed attention to the men's national team, which, you know, quite frankly, is pretty special at the moment because they have players the caliber of Alfonso Davies, Jonathan David, you know, Atiba Hutchinson, Kyle Lahren. These are guys who are playing at top clubs in Europe and are having success. They all were sort of key members of their club teams this past season that won, you know, big championships in Europe. So, uh, yeah, I think, uh, you know, a result tonight would be just massive for the national team and for Canadian soccer in general. How tough was that first one nothing victory? Um, just the whole, the, the field going in there, having to fly out after was just the whole experience. Alfonso Davies really struggled. Like, how was that getting through that experience in the first game? Um, how's that going to help him tonight? Yeah, it was a tough experience, no question. I mean, for all the reasons you sort of mentioned there, uh, you know, the travel, the you know, the you know, the quality of the pitch, you know, the brutality of the Haitians. It was a pretty chippy affair. Um, you know, what I was impressed with uh, from Canada in that game was just the way that they were able to maintain their composure, grind it out, and just sort of fight through all the elements. And I think that's going to serve them well in the second leg. I don't think it's going to be quite as humid and hot. You know, they're going to be playing on a grass pitch uh, tonight, so they, they won't be on the artificial surface. But I fully expect, you know, the Haitians to sort of batter and bruise them again and really play a physical game. Um, but Canada showed in that first leg that it can sort of fight through that and not sort of get distracted by the Haitians' tactics and, and find a way to win. And, uh, you know, they've already done that in, in the first leg, and I suspect that they can... I think that'll serve them well going into this return match in Chicago tonight. John Molinaro is our guest. This is leadoff Sportsnet 590, The Fan. Uh, so I was glued yesterday morning when I got home from work after the show, John. Uh, my 72nd cousins, 214 times removed, uh, were playing the Czech Republic yesterday, and it didn't go so well on home soil. That said, uh, as a Scott who's, who's proud of his roots, I was proud of the guys uh, for, for making the Euro 2020 appearance, and I know that the English and the uh, Croatians are still ahead. But in, in your view, the, the, the Schick goal... Is is it a? I feel like we live in a hot take world where you have to you have to take one side or the other. I believe that it is possible to say that Schick had brilliant touch. It was a brilliant shot from midfield, and 
that David Marshall should have stopped the shot. Is that fair, or am I being too harsh on the Scottish keeper? I think you're being a bit too harsh on the Scottish keeper, and I'll tell you why. Um, you know, you have to remember that when the play started, that you know Scotland had possession deep in the, in the Czech territory. And so, naturally, a goalkeeper has to sort of press up, because then, if he doesn't, he's leaving a huge space in behind that, you know, the Czechs would have been able to exploit. And, you know, as a goalkeeper, you have to stay somewhat connected to your back line because if the ball does come through and behind them and, you know, the Czechs would have been able to come on a fast break, then the goalkeeper is there to sort of clean up as a sweeper and can boot the ball away before the, before the danger really develops. And so if he would have been, you know, back further on his line, that would have, and, you know, the, and the Czechs would have, you know, played the ball forward, you know, they would have been on essentially like a breakaway. So, I think it's harsh to suggest that he should have stopped that. I mean, it's a one in a million shot from, from Patrick Schick, right? I mean, nine times out of 10, when players try something like that, the ball goes spectacularly wide and nowhere near close to the goal. He hit it, you know, perfectly. I mean, it was, really was a brilliant shot. And I really think, you know, there's no chance that the Scottish keeper could have, could have stopped that. He had, to, he had to have played, he had to have been, you know, uh, off his line and playing further forward just to stay connected to his defense. So I, I really don't blame him at all. What are the chances of my North Macedonia team uh, punching a ticket through to the next round? Zero percent. Uh, uh, <laughs> wait, hey, they already scored one goal, which was one more than we thought they were going to score in yeah. the opening round. <laughs> Listen, it, it's tough, right? I mean, I thought they played well against Austria for whatever it was, 60 minutes, and then um, you know, obviously the uh, the Austrians sort of showed their their class and depth and then earned the results. They're in a tough group, right? The, the Netherlands are in that group. Ukraine is in that group. And North Macedonia did well just to get to the Euros. I mean, Goran Pandev is a great story. I mean, I'm familiar with mm -hmm. him you know, intimately because he's he, he's played in Italy for the longest time, and I'm a big Serie A fan. And so it was great to see him score on the international. Um, you know, stage at such a massive, such a big tournament like Euro, and just as I said, just getting there for North Macedonia, who, who you know, beat Germany in the in the build up to the tournament. Not a, not, you know, not an easy thing to do. So, um, but yeah, I think it's going to be quite difficult for them to to advance to the next round, just because of the difficulty of the group. And what's going on here? I just read a little bit about um, this morning about uh, Arnautovic. His he reacted after a goal, said something to the Macedonian supporters and team. Like what? What's the what's the what are the details behind that? Apparently, he apologized yeah. though. Yeah, I mean, he apologized. I mean, after the fact when he got caught, um, you know, and it's interesting as he was kind of mouthing off. His, his teammate David Alaba physically went to him and sort of put his hand on his mouth to shut him up because. You know, he didn't want to get his, didn't want to see his teammate get into trouble. Um, and apparently, he flashed some sort of hand sign too that is, was sort of offensive and had racist over, um, overtones. So uh, it's kind of a bit of a black mark on the tournament thus far, which I think has been, you know, great uh, with you know the games and all the cities. And it's, you know, how great has it been to see actual fans in, in the in the stands and then mm -hmm. players playing yeah. the fans. So that was a bit of a black mark, as was obviously the, the Christian Eriksen uh, situation. Although it's it's fantastic to hear that he's you know recovering and, and it sounds like he's gonna he's gonna you know do well. So, with John Molinaro is the uh, founder and editor in chief of TFC Republic, and I want to ask you about Josie Altidore in just a moment. But one last thought on on the action today: we got Hungary, Portugal, France, Germany. So it's the so-called Group of Death, Group F. 
France, Germany. How do you see this one playing out? Tough. I mean, uh, you know, obviously uh, two teams. I, I mean, I would give the edge to France just because they're, you know, the defending World Cup champions. And I do think they are a strong favorite in this in this uh, tournament. Um, you know, when you look at the French team, there's quality all over. I mean, they have enough depth uh, that I think Didier Deschamps, the French coach, can field two teams. Um, you know, Germany, I think, has a bit of a point to prove because they've they've really sort of fallen off a cliff a little bit since, you know, the 2018 World Cup when they bowed out in the first round. And, you know, manager Joachim Lowe, he's leaving after, you know, Euro uh, 2020. And, you know, it's they've it, this isn't sort of the German side that we've seen in the past where they just seem to be hitting on all cylinders. I think there's a lot of questions about this German side, especially in defense. So, you know, I'll be looking for France to really sort of dominate the midfield and put, you know, that German back line under, under pressure. And, you know, I think an early goal for the French would really uh, leave, it for all, leave it for the Germans for all to do. The Josie Altidore situation with mm-hmm. Toronto FC, Michael Bradley has commented on it recently and said, look, this is a far more complicated situation than perhaps anybody understands. Josie is away from the club right now, training on his own. Where, where is this all headed? Uh, you know, I think he's played his last game for Toronto. I mean, he's, you have to bear in mind that he's been training on his own for three weeks now, a little more than three weeks. And, you know, when this all started in, in, in late May, the club said that they were going to use this international break to sort of sit down with Josie and try to work things out and, and hopefully have a, a resolution by the time Canada or by the time Toronto plays its next game, which is Saturday in Orlando. Uh, we're still not there. Um, you know, the fact that they have been able to come to some sort of resolution or agreement um, doesn't bode well for his future in Toronto. I mean, it leads me to believe that they're either going to try and trade him or, or, or sell him, you know, and he's being linked to, uh, to teams in Mexico before. And, you know, I think, you know, obviously Josie has been an important and hugely influential player at TFC. I mean, you know, when the statues go up outside BMO Field in the future, you know, his is going to be one of the first directed because of, you know, the goals he scored and just the massive influence he's had at this club. But we have to bear in mind he's, I think, 32, 33. Uh, his body is not what it once was. He's had a lot of injury problems the last couple of years, and his, you know, production has, has dipped significantly. So I'm not sure that he's the player that he once was. It doesn't sound like he's particularly wants to be with Toronto anymore, and I don't think... You know, Toronto is comfortable having him there, especially with what happened between him and Chris Armas. They want to sort of nip this in the bud. So it sounds like we're we're headed for a divorce. I mean, the simplest thing would just be to somehow reconcile and see if he can just, you know, sort of apologize or just kind of come back into the team. But the fact that he's been training on his own all this time just leads me to believe that we're headed for, uh, uh, you know, him uh, uh, divorce between him and the club. I really appreciate the insight this morning, John. Thanks for this, and we'll reach out again very soon. Sounds good, guys. Have a good morning. John Molinaro is the founder and editor-in-chief of TFC Republic. All right, Ryu, Montgomery, pair of left-handers. Jays, Yankees open a three-game series in Buffalo tonight. we got the Islanders and the Lightning. Game two down in Tampa Bay. The Isles looking to go up 2 nothing, And we'll break it all down at 6 o'clock. Tomorrow morning. Looking forward to it. Let's hope Cosmo Kramer doesn't light a cigar in anybody else's cabin and burn it down. Yeah. Good shows next.
Have a great Tuesday. The cabin burned.